Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Back with another lesson again. I'm one of your professors, CK, and sitting to my left, as always, is the Jack Sparrow to my Will Turner. The Turner to my Hooch. He's the big guy, the gentle giant, Professor A.G. Hey, buddy, I'll be the Harry to your Hendersons all day long. There we go. Thank you, Chris, for the wonderful lead-in. We got an interesting one today. It's going to be pretty fun. Um, Let's all just take a minute to to sit wherever you are and really think about how big the United States is. The United States is massive. And at one point, the United States was really, really, really small. And we didn't have a whole lot of money. But then our old friend Napoleon decided, "Mm, probably need some money to keep fighting these Brits. Uh... Would you be interested, Not Thomas just the Jefferson? Brits fighting fucking everyone. Yeah, he was. He was. <laughs> well, wait, who was it that always was part of the? What did they call them? We just did it a couple. The weeks Ottomans, ago. right? It was, but what did they call? Was it a coalition? Yeah. So when they did a coalition, he was like, he's probably three coalitions deep at this point, and just I mean, the, <laughs> he was the cash bank poor. was empty. Yes, cash poor man. Yeah. So we scraped up a bunch of money, um, and Napoleon ended up taking seating back. A large area of the United States. I had no idea that it was Napoleon time when this happened. Yeah. But, I mean, we bought the Louisiana Purchase. And we'll get into exactly how damn big the Louisiana Purchase was, because I don't think everybody really understands. But that was our ticket west. That was our ticket to get all the way over to the Pacific Ocean and try to figure out a route to make sure that we can get goods and supplies there. I think we probably already knew that Great Britain was running sort of like in the Pacific Mm -hmm. and was hanging out with some of the Native American tribes. Yeah. But until we sent Meriwether Lewis and William Clark and the great name, Corps of Discovery. That's hell yeah. We really had no idea. I had to stop myself from saying the Clark to my Lewis. (laughs) Hey, that works. So, yeah, get ready for another fun one. Um, strap on your rucksack. We are going to get in the um, journey, the canoe of Kush, the Kush canoe, and we are going to paddle down the river of knowledge. All right, let's get it. So, Lewis and Clark, going back to what you were saying about, let's let's kind of start with the purpose behind the Corps of Discovery, the Lewis and Clark expedition. So, like you were saying, uh, Thomas Jefferson, good old TJ, he so he was actually over in Paris for a while, right? He was the he's an ambassador, amb- or ambassador like to that. Paris. I think he was the ambassador to France. Um. He comes back, he gets elected president. So about a year before the actual Louisiana Purchase, Thomas Jefferson basically is like, hey, he has this like secret meeting. He sends a secret message to Congress and he's like, I think we should try to figure out what's between our territory and the Atlantic or in the Pacific Ocean. I think we should do an expedition. So he's proposing doing this, but that area to the west of the Mississippi River is all French territory. Well, not all French territory. So you have a huge expanse of French, uh, sorry, 
French territory, basically kind of down going to like Louisiana, mm-hmm. moving then up through what you would consider the Great Plains. Oh, we'll cover it. It encompasses yeah. either all or 13 or parts of 13 different states. Okay. Then this is still at a time when Mexico still has Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. And then Britain is in control of Canada. Yeah, I think they still kind of are to a certain extent. And the Pacific Northwest, Idaho, Washington, and Oregon are just up for grabs. It's unclaimed territory. Everybody wanted some. And up to this point, the thing that I find just absolutely fascinating about Lewis and Clark is the fact that they were given a map of where to go, and then the map just ended. Like, yeah, go well, figure no, out how the fuck to get it, there. It was even crazier. It didn't end. There was just, it was like a map where like the sides of it were filled in and then the middle of it was blank. Cause remember once he got to, so Thomas Jefferson apparently paid a lot of money for like cartographers and all of these people because he was getting information and reviewing maps, not just the, the United States developed, but people that had been over to what we consider now the West Coast of the United States. Mm-hmm. So like fur traders, uh, the British that would come over and trade with the Native Americans, they would have maps showing, you know, the confluences of rivers and where things came in. He found that information. He's like, so I have your last chapter and I have like the first four chapters while you're still in the United States up to that point. He's like, but there's like three quarters of this book that hasn't been written yet. So I'm going to need you to fill in this map. But we need to get you from point A to point C. We need point B. Pretty much. And uh, just as far as all that goes, the Louisiana Purchase might be the greatest land deal in the history it is the of land, land deals. Deal. I think they consider it the greatest land deal ever made. Yeah, okay, so 1803, cash poor Napoleon trying to fight off yet another um, coalition. coalition ends up seeding back the land from Spain, because I guess the only real part that was still controlled by France was down at the mouth of the bottom of New the Mississippi. Orleans. I think New Orleans, yeah. that area. So, yeah. And then, so he was in control of Spain, obviously, at this point, or somewhat in control. Because remember, he had his brother sitting on... Yeah, like, I don't know if it was during leader. that, because that was just kind of like he would be in there for a few years, and he'd get That's kicked true. out. And... and, yeah, so, did you hear how the transfer went? Um... I know that it was 38 years in Spain's hands. France took it back. And then it was like, bang, bang, right after Napoleon. Spain didn't even know. Well, yeah, so they, they were shocked. Yeah, so France is like, hey, we're going to take it back. Spain's like, okay, I guess. And then literally the day after they get it back, they're like, and they do, it was like when you pass something just over to the next uh-huh. person next to you. And they just uh, sold it to America. How much did it end up being? I, so this is kind of a weird number because it was approximately $15 million. And at the time, America didn't really have that. America wasn't, we didn't have a whole lot of money. We're still probably trying to come off the Revolutionary War and mm-hmm. find our footing. Develop an actual economy uh-huh. and ex- import-export type stuff. So this situation pops up for TJ to buy all this land from Napoleon and I guess somewhere in the Constitution or the Declaration, no, I think it was the Constitution, they had like never really covered purchasing extra lands. Mm-hmm. They just kind of focused on what was going on. Yeah. So Jefferson kind of felt like, eh, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, it seems like a good deal. 
We don't have the money. There's nothing in the Constitution about buying it. His advisors are just like, dude, just buy it. It's going to double the size of the United States. It's, we're going to get so much bigger, and there's going to be so much more to That's explore. what I'm thinking. Think of all the resources. Yeah. You're not just buying the land. You're buying all of the resources. Well, and the other thing that just really is a head-scratcher for me is, uh, I guess, America's biggest export at the time was fur. Like fur trading yeah, there was and a, trapping? There was a point when fur was just like the crop. Or for not, what, or not even crop. Just for clothes? Yeah. Just, I mean, because it was an, you know, it was warm. Yeah. And I guess people thought it was, think of it this way, man. Like the, the same thing, the same kind of shit that went down, like during the actual journey of the core discovery. All of these things that people had never seen before. So people over in Britain and France, they'd never seen minks. And all this kind of stuff were like, you know, the women still wear furs of today. Yeah. So you're taking over their freaking bison hide blankets and all this. And these like, think of all like the aristocrats in France and Britain and all those places, you know, having that on their mantle or a stuffed head or like the, the bison blanket, like in front of the fire. A lot of it, I think, was status symbols. It beaver, could have been. Beaver just... hats, beaver pelts. They probably lined clothes. Oh, yeah. That, they, that was definitely a oh, thing. Oh, Yeah. It just is so weird to me to think that the United States was like just the major export. We ran of fur. on fur. Yeah, the U.S. Like, we run on fur. How the hell does that work? Uh, you just a lot of beavers. I guess it's sort of similar to farming. You're just like farming critters out there Pretty and then bringing them back. Yeah. But do you? Is that where you get like the the first ever like mink coat that's really made of like rat fur or whatever it is? I'm sure the, there was some skullduggery yeah. going on behind the scenes of being like, this doesn't seem like beavers, a beaver skin uh, hat. They're like, what is this? And like, it looks like a fucking skunk. Skunk, muskrat, mm-hmm. anything like that. So this big deal hits. Um, TJ borrowed a fuckload of money. I think it ended up being right around $11 million because there was some forgiveness of a loan that Napoleon had taken out from us before of mm-hmm. about like $3 million. But all in told, or all in told, we got 828,000 square miles. We paid $18 per square mile. Yeah, it ended up being three cents an acre. So nuts. Yeah, 530. Wow, I almost said thousand. 530 million acres. Yeah. And all, all total of everything there, um, we got all of our parts of Arkansas, Iowa, Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Minnesota, New Mexico, Texas, North and South Dakota. Wyoming, Montana, Colorado. There were parts of Alberta and Saskatchewan that were a part of it. Like that's how much land this was. Mm-hmm. It more than doubled the size of the United States. And what we end up seeing coming up to the Civil War is what sixty years from really when we started discovering this. Like from yep. Lewis and Clark taking off is about sixty years. So I mean, and they don't beat around the bush either with this whole thing about the core of discovery. So like I said, like a year before this shit, this actual like deal goes down. I think Thomas Jefferson kind of knows. So I don't know if there's been talk about it, but I don't know if he's, even if they didn't buy it, if he was just going to be like, we're just going to send a fucking expedition and figure out what's Could over be. here. Yep. Especially because there was still the Pacific Northwest that was unclaimed. Well, and whether we owned it or not, the Spanish were not happy that we were there. And there were a lot of reasons why he wanted to both purchase, you know, that area of Louisiana and also do this um, expedition to find the Pacific. One of them was, it's not just, you know, for the altruistic goal of like the sense of adventure and everything. A lot of it had to do with an economic and a commerce related reason. So he wanted to find a water route between 
the basically the East Coast and the West Coast, at least from the Mississippi up through the Missouri River. Mm-hmm. And then they knew of a river from like traders and sailors that had been to that side. And I think they knew it was called the Columbia River. Either that or the, in all of the other research, they just call it that so people can identify and know what river it is. Could be. For those of you that don't know, the Columbia River is what separates Washington and Oregon, and it goes probably back along their border about three quarters of the distance until you get to Idaho. Well, it's huge, too, because doesn't there's like the Snake River or whatever it's called in Idaho that leads up to it. So the Snake River is the main tributary, and a shit ton of stuff feeds into the Snake River. Huh. So there's there's a lot of stuff there. And there again, we go into that weird geog- or geographical thing of like this river flows from the south yeah. and goes northwest to dump into the ocean. <laughs> it goes up. Exactly. It technically goes up on a globe, but tra- <laughs> topographical-wise, it's going down to the lowest point. Like, yeah, it looks so fucking weird. That's why it's good to lay out a map uh-huh. and look down from it and be like, ah, Ooh. I get it. I think a, a globe... Well, yeah. Because it points down when you're holding it. But you're even just like, a map, when you're looking down at it, you're still up and to the left. I don't know. I just a, a very maybe there's no good way to look at this and understand how water flows. You would have to have a topographical globe. Yes, that sounds actually kind of cool. To they have, used like, to the actually be ranges. like that. Remember, you'd run your finger along them, and there would be just a little bit of a raised area on mountains. Uh, yeah, I had. I might have had a fancy globe. Yeah, you could have had. You I might have had, had a. Class. I had a baller globe. So well, Thomas oh. Jefferson wants to. Oh. I'm still going you, over the reasons. Okay, so you weren't going to... We got to talk about this Ben Rush guy. No, I, yeah, we'll get to him once they get in the okay. preparation for it. So he wants to find a, a connection to basically go up the Missouri, and they suspect that basically they may have to go over, like, a set of mountains, and then the Columbia <laughs> River is going to be, like, flowing down the yeah. other side. So it's basically like, uh, we got to, like, lift our boats out. We got to traverse, like, a few miles, and then we'll just get put them right back on boats and be able to send goods and everything. And he felt that that would open up uh, legitimate trade and opportunity to sell over to China. Because then you're not having to go over around Cape Horn or the Cape of Africa or whatever it is. Is that is it Cape of Good Hope? Uh, one of them is. I think Cape Horn's the one in South America, isn't it? Cape Horn is the one that's the horn coming out of the side of Africa, I thought. Okay. What's the one down in... The Strait of Magellan. Chile. Strait of Magellan? Could be. This is... Uh, we're talking pre... Panama Canal time, so if you're trying to get to the other side, you're either going around Europe and trying to get in that way in Africa, or you're trying to go around South America. If you're sailing from the East Coast of the United States, you either had to go all the way around South America and up, or you had to go all the way around the other way and go around Africa. So by having this to where you could access a waterway going up the Missouri, all the way leading to another waterway that was leading down to the Pacific, it would really cut that in half. And it would also open up trade in that entire area and allow for that to be developed because people are going to live around along commerce routes, along waterways, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. He also wanted to, he was wanting to establish um, a relationship with the native Americans that live there. (laughs) And and when I say establish a relationship, (laughs) let them know we're here. (laughs) Yeah. The message was to let them know post purchase that they were now living in America. Like James Brown said, they were living in America and they wanted whoever was going on the journey, they didn't know at this point, basically to be like, did they call him the great father? Like, because uh, that's, they wanted to relate it to how, like, the. Native I thought they Americans. called him, like, the great chief. It was great father and then, like, great chief to also, like, explain to them that, like, the hierarchy their, of how things it, were going to exactly go. Exactly. Like, so they also wanted to basically let all of the Native Americans know, like, A, you know, we're the new, we're the new kids in town, we're running the country now. 
everyone behave themselves and everyone needs to make peace and play nice. You guys have been here for thousands of years. Yeah, I just no want shit. you to know you're under new management mm-hmm. now. Like you thought you were at the top. Nah, bro. There's oh, hey, by the you. way, like we realized that this probably wasn't the French's land to begin with. Uh-huh. Because you were fucking living here, but we bought it from them, so it, if so facto, it becomes ours. I don't even imagine the French really, like, put the screws to the natives. I I'm imag- I do, because there's the French and Indian War and all that. I think they probably just I pretty the much French let and the Indian, the whole point about the French and Indian War is the French and the Indians were fighting together. Could they have? They were fighting, I, against, have they were fighting against the British. That was back when, like, we were still the British. The French and Indians were fighting together. <sighs> That's why we were I am, like, 80% sure on that. Okay. So... Basically, Thomas Jefferson, he approaches Meriwether Lewis, who is his um, secretary at the time, right? His, like, executive secretary or whatever. Grew up on the, his plantation neighbors in the south. Monticello? Uh, Monticello, and then right next to it was Meriwether Lewis's father's property. Meriwether Lewis's father passes away, gives everything to him. He's like, I just, this isn't for me. I don't want to be here. Ends up selling everything off, sells the slaves, sells the plantation, probably made a pretty good amount of money, mm-hmm. joins the military. Yeah. Right into the military. That's um, the only way you advance, man. True. You weren't going to be a politician. Well, and you're going to see some shit, too. Like, you're going to travel. So he's in the military. Uh, one night, apparently, had a few too many and challenged a higher up to a fist fight. Gets court-martialed, gets pulled up on charges of being drunk in front of a superior and then challenging a superior to, like, a duel or something like that. Mm-hmm. Instead of getting kicked out of the military, I don't know what a dishonorable discharge was back then, but probably going to be bad. Uh, they go ahead and they put him in another troop? Some other unit. Branch, yeah, unit. Yeah, probably like the best term. And his unit commander was William Clark. That's right. So you have... The 29-year-old at the time of starting this big thing that's the, he's the secretary, like the private secretary or something like that? Yeah, so he's the secretary to the president of the United States, so he's Thomas Jefferson's, like, personal secretary, personal aide, whatnot. Late 20s. Think about what you were doing in your late 20s, Mm -hmm. and this guy is getting ready to embark on a journey across the country that nobody has mapped. Yeah, so Thomas Jefferson basically has this decision to make where after, or trying to put together because he's putting together again this mission a year before it happens so like by the time the purchase happens they're actually waiting in st louis because they can't cross to the other side of the mississippi because it's french territory and the reason it's called st louis like st louis is because it's founded by the french so they had it sons of bitches so it literally they said and this is going ahead just a little bit and we'll go back they said what happened is so like they're camped out on the other side, on like the United, what was can be considered the United States side. One day there's a French fl- or a oh, Spanish yeah. flag flying. It comes down. The French flag goes up after the Fran- French take it over. And then like a day later, the French flag goes down <laughs> and the American flag goes up. And that was like almost like a starting flag for them. They were able to leave at that point. But yeah, what so, a way, what a way to start. But I mean, they were doing all this to get ready. So yeah, he gets command. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson is like, well, who am I going to send? He's like, I'll s- I'll send young Merriweather here. He's 29 years old. A man. He knows what he's doing. 29 fucking years old. And you're entrusted by the president. He's like, I'm going to need you to like take a boat. 
up the Missouri is farther than really anyone else has ever gone. And then I'm going to need you to like figure out a way to like get to the Pacific Ocean while mapping everything that you see, waterways. I'm going to need you to also negotiate with all the Indians and basically let them know that I'm I'm the the new chief. It's like Rick Marshall when he's trying to talk to Chaka. He yes. Goes, I'm your leader now. Rick Marshall, Chaka, Rick Marshall. But yeah, basically negotiate with all of these Native Americans while also giving them this message and not offending them to where you're going to be like, because you're going to be outnumbered at this point to be, so you're not going to be killed. He's like, so we'll just go ahead and do this 29-year-old guy. Yeah, that's, but then again, you read how much Congress allocated for this trip, right? How much was it? $2,400 is what they gave them for supplies to get to the other side. And of course, at that time, he didn't control Congress. Yeah. Congress was the other parties or the they people didn't it, like though. him. I mean, they'd approved they, they approved it, but he asked for a ton of money and they just were like 2400 bucks. Like, here's a, here's a 1999 Subaru Forester. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to actually give them a Subaru, that might make it. It could, yeah. From St. Louis all the way to the Pacific Ocean, if we're being honest. Um, so, yeah, they send Lewis basically to all these different, like, what would you call them, academies or places of study? That's kind of what it felt like was places of study because it didn't seem like too many of them were actual schools. It was just like people that knew these topics, he would go study under them. They're like, so, hey, so you're going to lead this, first of all. And so over the next year, we're going to need to train you in navigation and like celestial bodies. <laughs> so you'll be able to actually navigate by all of the stars because, again, you don't know where the fuck you're going. Yep. The map ends. There's a blank spot. The map ends, and then it's uncharted territory. And we we're not like we're not entirely sure that the map up higher, where we have details, how accurate that is, because this comes back to us. You know, this information is five years old. These native tribes might not even be here anymore, or these landmarks could have been made up by whoever mm-hmm. was you know, or someone could have saw something incorrectly. So he has to study navigation. They have him study medicine biology because he's going to be documenting all new animals that they haven't seen on this side of the continent yet. Uh, botany because he'll be seeing new plants and all kinds of other crazy shit. Like horticulture, I guess. Yeah. Is call it. Um, he's in charge of buying supplies. He supervises building. It was a 55, was it 55 feet long? The boat, the it started with a P didn't it? Those were the little other raft okay. things that they had. I can't remember. They were like part pierogues or something like that that sounds right um this what was this called a keel boat yes that was the way to describe the fact that it just had a keel and a sail on it like a mast so i mean putting this guy in charge of doing all that stuff that's that's fucking nuts well he kind of seemed like he was (coughs) excuse me apt for the job because he he really jumped into it and he was going around learning from all these different teachers. And from what it sounded like, because they did bring some specialists on the voyage too. So there were like other people besides him. But part of the big deal was that he was supposed to document in his diary so much of what they saw is almost like the narrative for the trip to head out there. And unfortunately, we'll talk about it later, but between him and Clark, 
Clark was avid every day. I'm writing something in the journal. It may mm-hmm. not be the most interesting shit, but it's going to be something that's solid and it'll explain what happened. They said that Lewis wrote so infrequently, but every time that Lewis would write, it was like prose. It was almost like poetry that was doing justice yeah, to this he was, vast it was pretty, wilderness. It was less spontaneous when he was doing it. Like he would go in spells of like really like being diligent about it and then he would have times where he was having one of his fits like fits of depression and stuff where he just didn't want to do shit what do we want to talk about what probably led to the fits and benjamin rush oh yeah go ahead because this is something that they actually would part of their supplies to take with Mm -hmm. them so benjamin rush was basically like the medicine man that was supposed to teach lewis about how to take care of this group of what it was 40 people it started out, I think, as that's what they were planning on for 40. How are you going to take care of that many people, especially when you're out there, you get bit by a snake that they're has never been documented? Field. You're not a surgeon or anything like that. So, like, when they said they were going to have him study medicine, I mean, they had him go over some, like, basic first aid and, like, what to do. But, yeah, this Rush guy, what were the things he... This guy just strikes Billy me as someone like, get Dr. Rush's uh-huh. miracle tonic or some shit. Well... This is the crazy thing is Benjamin Rush didn't have like he wasn't just straight across the board nuts. He was considered and I might get this wrong, like the father of modern day psychiatry. I don't know if it was modern day or just the father of psychiatry, but he's like the father of a a study of the brain. Mm-hmm. So he clearly had to charm some people, but he was just really aggressive with the medicine. And any way that it was going to be fixed, it was going to be like bloodletting, where you're actually cutting somebody open and letting them bleed. Yes. Um, his big one that he gave to them, they were called bilious pills. And I guess these people were just popping them like what crazy. What were they called? Rush's lightning? Yeah, I think it was. So what does bilious do to you? <laughs> so it... I'm going to tell you what it's made up of, and then I'll explain what it actually is. 50% of these pills were made of mercury. That was something that they used for fucking everything. 25% of the pills, like of the one pill, 50% mm. of it was mercury. 25% of it was chlorine. All is right. that to like clean out the system or? I Well, yeah, because that's something that the system doesn't want in it. So it's supposed to be a purge. Well, yeah, and to clean and of it up. Of course, they didn't know what it was doing. They just knew that, like, you take these. This it was like the bloodletting thing. He was just trying to get shit out. Uh-huh. That was their big thing is, like, there must be sickness inside, so we need to let it out. They're so going to need a protein-rich diet, so you're going to need to get that stuff moving out of your and system quick. so this stuff, I think they called it, was it Russia's Lightning? It could have been, yeah. And so when you took these things, it was such a powerful, like, diuretic that you would just be, like, shitting your fucking brains out. Well, it the other 25% of it was the root of a Mexican plant that is just a... It's like X-lax. What are they called? Uh, laxative? Laxative, yeah. Laxative, there you go. So it was an actual natural laxative to where all they needed to achieve this goal of getting everything and flushing the system out was just the laxative. I know. But he just threw in some mercury. Uh, one of the crazy things, I'm not sure I didn't go through and just... Like, dot, 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 everybody mm-hmm. said this. But the way that they were able to track their journey pretty accurately across the West yeah. was they would send people out and they would find, like, latrine ditches that they had actually dug. And you could still find the mercury in the latrine ditches from them shitting in those things, from kicking out you these You could pills. still have trace amounts of uh-huh. it because that's something that doesn't degrade. Yeah. It's not a biodegradable 
material. So they were able to track them that accurately because they were finding these latrine ditches across the route that they said they were taking. So it'd be like, yeah, this looks like a camp. Let's start digging around. Holy shit, we found Mercury. This was definitely them. That's fucking nuts. <laughs> so during as part of his preparation, um, Meriwether Lewis goes ahead and gives good old William Clark a call or writes him a letter. Did you read part of the letter stuff? It's so like well-written and flowery. It's like, I would be completely honored if you would do me the... It was basically like, do me a solid and come on this trip with me. Because guess what, bro? There ain't no Lewis without Clark. I can't do this without you. And he's like, it would be the honor of my life to accompany you on this great venture. Everybody kind of needed a partner or you were going to die back then, it seems yeah. like. And so um, Clark is, at the time of the core of Discovery, when they set out, he is 33. So he's four years older. Technically, Meriwether is in charge. Lewis is in charge. We'll just do Lewis and Clark going forward. Lewis is in charge. And through some mix-up, he wanted uh, Clark to also be captain. Lewis was the only captain. Clark was a lieutenant. But they never told any of the men. Yeah, what does that matter? It doesn't, because what they wanted is they wanted essentially to have complete equal decision-making on this. And if it came to a point where the men found out one outranked the other if it came down to a decision, they would then go over Lewis to, and be like, you're the commander. You need to be making the decision yeah. here instead of like kind of co co-captaining. So Clark says he's in finally the Louisiana purchase. It goes through. And like I said, they basically were waiting there. They had interviewed some guys for like their crew or did like, it almost seemed like they did tryouts. Like they would pick some guys that they knew maybe that they had served with, but they would go out to like certain areas and be like, if you're like a frontiersman, a you trapper. have these great skills, great hunter, come out, show us what you got. And so they would interview guys like shooting skills and all this kind of shit. And they'd be like, congratulations, you're fucking hired. Back your, pack your fucking stick and bindle, we're heading up river. Uh, and that was just, what was the deal that they would get out of it? If you went on the expedition and it was successful... Well, if it was unsuccessful, you'd just die. Yeah. If it was successful, though, you would be, like, given a plot of land and, like, $100 a year or something. What, like, $100 for each, like, year that it took or something could like be, that. Because they, they weren't sure of the time frame. But they were going to be given land when they came back. So yeah. you could see it as a pretty big opportunity of the unknown if you did want to try to progress, like, your social standing or anything like that. Especially if, can, if that was something that you didn't see yourself. If you figured, hey, this thing might take me a few years. You, you yourself couldn't get that land in three years. No, not a chance. So you were going to say, this is a way for me to have this, something that I would have to work my entire life for, and I can have it in three years. And money to start. Uh -huh. So land and money, not just having to use that money to buy the land. So I think it is, it's May 14th, 1804. That is the day that the Corps of Discovery actually sets out and departs. Yeah, they left Camp Dubose or Dubois. In Which Illinois. is, that was, like, kind of in St. Louis or close to St. So. Louis, right? So uh, It was in Illinois is when they left Wad. They went to St. Louis, and that's where they ended up hooking up with William Clark, I Okay, think. he came down and met them there, or they picked him up or something. On the... It could have been that's where they were picking up other men. Yeah, and they had to wait there for the... For the news to yeah. get there that they were... Yeah, they wouldn't have got the information at Camp Bois, or Le Bois, or whatever Dubois. it was. Dubois. Um, okay, this is the other thing. They're going fucking upriver. With a sailboat. So you're the only power you generate is either by force, by row, mm -hmm. or you're just hoping that the wind is blowing your direction. Yeah, <laughs> like the 
listening to like the details of how fucking hard this was going to be is insane. So yeah, you're going up the Missouri, which I understand is a big river. And the way they described it, the way you go up rivers is you stick to the sides and you can go between eddies where there's not any current. You just stay out of the middle unless you're coming back down. And, but at the same time, like you're saying it's a sailboat. So the sail can only go up when the wind is heading up river to help them move. Mm -hmm. Any other time they're either having to, and I think they had like 20 rows or 20 oars sets of oars on each side that they were able to then row up the river. And when it got to the point where they couldn't row up the river because it got too shallow, they would have to get out and fucking guys with ropes on the banks and walking through the river would have to tow the fucking 55-foot boat. Portage, yeah. Not not even portaging. They're dragging it in the water. So not like oh, portaging is where you yeah, go through the shallow land. parts. They're having to drag it through the shallow parts and parts where maybe the current's too strong. Like, they're having to do this for, like, hundreds of miles. It's fucking nuts. Uh, and it just, it's only 40 people, and that boat had to be big enough to be able to carry supplies. They took tons and tons of supplies. So not only are you carrying this heavy-ass boat or pulling this heavy-ass boat, you have it loaded to the hill with everything that's going to keep you alive on this journey. So you can't be shedding weight to make it any easier it just, the whole endeavor, they shouldn't have made it. There's no way that you could ever convince me, if there wasn't historical accuracy, that in the early 1800s, in 1804, that a group of 40 guys just set off with a half-filled-in map and somehow made it. And this is, I, it's hard to kind of envision this because we were so used to just, like, looking out at a neighborhood or a city and just being like, it's part of the landscape now to where you almost don't even notice it. It's mm-hmm. almost more jarring to look at landscape that has nothing on it, like no like man-made features, and that be more jarring than looking at a city because it's such like a part of just who we are. But like if you've ever been, you know, lucky enough, and I think it's kind of cool, if you've ever been like up in the hills and, you know, there are some roads around everything, but you look out over the hills and you can't see any of the roads and you can't really see any sign of human interference or human mm, habitation yeah. it's a crazy fucking thought because you're looking at the same thing that like those explorers did you would come up over a hill and just look out across something and like i've done that before like being up in the hills i've come over a ridge and like looked out and it's nothing but the mountains and i was like if i didn't have some place like safety to go back to and my goal was <laughs> to get to just keep going like uh-huh. could i fucking like how Do far I, could you make it? Could yeah. you make it to that ridge? Yeah. It's it's crazy to think about. And now, basically, you're going into something where it's everything is going to be dangerous. The people you're supposed to meet are potentially going to be dangerous. There's going to be animals. Nature is going to be unforgiving. It's just like the fucking balls on these guys. It's a different. It was a different breed of person, I think. It had to be. And they had to just have that drive to go. One really high thought that I had last night. Uh, just while I was while we were co-watching Almost Heroes from uh-huh. our own domiciles, was there had to be a point where you would look out at a place and just see nothing man-made and nothing that you understand, and it would just have to be an intense loneliness to realize like you're the only human that's here for a hundred miles. Mm-hmm. But then you start to realize, and it comes to your brain like no, 
there's a lot of shit around me. I'm not alone. There's going to be animals in these woods that are either going to try to fuck me up or that I need to eat to survive. Mm -hmm. So it brings on like a whole nother set of you're not alone. But everything that you encounter is either going to have to be eaten or killed. Yeah, you have no human interaction. There's no other human feeling around you. Just the, the 40 guys that are with you initially. So kind of early, not really early on into the trip, but in August of that year, they, they're just heading upriver. Basically, they're still in a position while they head up the Missouri that this – it's not a developed area by any stretch of the imaginations, but this has been traveled. Yeah, it, it's – the tr- Great Plains have been traversed pretty regularly. Not so much the Great Plains, but leading up essentially like closer when it like branches off the Mississippi. Okay. And when it heads out – because the only reason I'm saying that is because I know when they first get to the Great Plains, that was still like insanely shocking to them. Maybe it was actually part of the Great Plains. I think you might be right because that – they knew about that, but none of them had ever seen it. That was was so jarring about it. Well, and that's – I'm sure for a lot of them, everything that they saw past – the Mississippi River was just new. There's no way that they could have ever seen anything like that. Yeah, and what do they say? They say a squirrel can go from the... They I listened to several like examples of them saying this. They said a squirrel used to be able to go from like New York or Washington, D.C., and it could go all the way to the Mississippi throughout the expanse of the then United States without touching the ground. There were so many trees. <laughs> you got the Appalachians, you got like everything. So like pe- these guys were so used to seeing trees. So kind of partway into their journey as they're moving up in Missouri, there's not a lot of like stuff that happens during this because it's already a traversed area. Like they know where they're going and everything, but they get to the Great Plains and all of a sudden the trees are just gone. And it's just these wide open expanses. And it's like some of them got like really unnerved by it. Just tall grasses. Yeah, it's like prairie. You're like, I've never not been able to see trees for my entire life. And now there's... Literally no trees. What are we going to do for shade? Yeah, and where, where are, like, the mountains? It's just kind of hills at that point point, everything. And so, but then they start seeing, like, fucking buffalo. And a lot of them had never seen these, like, gigantic fucking herds of buffalo before. So then you're seeing, like, these new animals. And you're like, the fuck is going on here? That thing has horns? Yeah. It's that big and it has horns. Why does it need horns? It's that big. Yeah. I, the whole entire thought of changing geography like that and maybe it just goes to show how wildly diverse the united states is which i do think we have a little bit of everything it seems like yeah but to just be able to walk out of the woods and then just see no more woods like Mm -hmm. there was a a defining line where things thinned out thinned out and then we're just gone yeah (laughs) and it's like so we're heading back to the trees like no not until we get to the (laughs) if there's going to be trees along our journey that's the next trees you're going to see man we got to climb over these things that we have no idea how big they are because nobody's ever been in proportion to a mountain. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think they saw the Smoky Mountains or whatever they were called back then? Like, holy shit, these are really big mountains. Yeah, for people that had never been around like mountains before, like I think I'm sure Louisiana doesn't have a ton of mountains. Probably not. Florida, things like that. So if you're coming up from the south and even seeing like, yeah, the Smoky Mountains, the Appalach- Appalachians, I'm sure those to you were mountains. And you're like, yeah. these are fucking big. And all those are just hills compared to the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. So a little ways into their journey in August, um, one of their guys, uh, Sergeant Floyd, he dies. Lewis um, puts his medical training to quick uh, quick use and says he has some type of cholera. Yeah. Colic? Cholera. It was uh, a weird word than cholera, I think. Yeah. And... 
what they think it ends up turning out to be because they documented all this stuff really in depth is that they think he had a ruptured appendix, which at that time, even if had he been in like Philadelphia or Washington, they said they, they didn't have the died. technology to save someone from a ruptured appendix. So they take him up to like a little hilltop, they bury him, they name like a little offshoot of a river after him called the Floyd, kind of near where uh-huh. they buried him, and then they end up spending like the night there before moving on, kind right. of like to honor their fallen guy. Yeah, which is cool. He ends up being the only person, again, just mind-blowing. He was the only person in the core of Discovery that dies on the, the trip. The only fucking casualty. How, how, how is that? I don't even get it. I don't know. And it happens. Maybe it's not as tough as we think it is. Dude, come Only on. Only one guy died. And it was appendicitis. Like, it would have happened anywhere. I understand that, but like, okay, well, let's talk about it, and then you could still decide if it sounds yeah. like it was easy. I, I When you say that, though, yeah, because that kind of like, that almost, I don't want to say it ruins it, because you're like, well, none of these guys are going to die. Just listen to like what ends up happening, and it's just going to, in my opinion, make it like that much more impressive than nobody else fucking died. Mm-hmm. Like, but, there were injuries, and like they ended up getting lucky in a lot of situations, but like you said, this should not have worked. No. There were so many times along this journey where like it should have just ended. And just the span of days where something little can shut them down for a week. So in between meeting these Native American tribes, August 3rd, Council Bluffs, I think it's in Iowa. I think Council Bluffs may have been in Iowa. I think it's a thing in Iowa now. But they end up meeting with chiefs from the Oto and the Missouri tribes. And their whole big deal was they wanted to give gifts to these Native American tribes to try to ingratiate themselves. And then when that didn't work, they would get real pompous about it. Yeah. So luckily, the Oto and the Missouri took their gifts. It was some decent stuff, I think. And it, it was, was a like, success. It was like trinket type stuff. Yeah. But they also had this metal. Like Thomas Jefferson had a shit ton of these peace medals made. <laughs> and they were a picture of, I want to say, Thomas Jefferson maybe on one side. And the other side was two hands shaking. And it was like, here's our chief's medal. He wants to be friends. Wear this proudly. You yeah. have no idea that there's no significance to a medal yes, for this you. This means you're a friend of America or some shit like that. So Odo and Missouri, everything goes great. They take the gifts. They shake hands. They kiss babies. Everything goes well. August 30th, so 27 days later, they meet the Yankton tribe. The Yankton tribe went very, very badly for them. That's the, they're also the Lakota Sioux. Is that also the? I think the Lakota Sioux were after them, okay. maybe. I know that the, I think it's the Yankton Sioux and then the Lakota okay, Sioux. Okay, gotcha. So I say, here are these gifts. This is our guy. You need to bow down to him. They're like, not really our deal. If you have rifles and whiskey, we're cool. Yeah. <laughs> Meriwether was probably like, no, that though that wasn't a part of the gift barrage. That yeah, we I brought. know we're carrying rifles. And that's the thing too, is they were outfit with like the uh, most top of the line like rifles they took. I think they said the one thing they would never run out of on the trip was paper, gunpowder, like paper for wadding and packing, paper, gunpowder, and uh, the bullets and yeah. the lead. To go ahead and make the bullets. That was like the one thing they would never run out of. So his counter offer to them was incredible. We're not going to give you any whiskey. We're not going to give you any rifles, but we will give you a personal invitation for you to travel back with us to Washington, D.C., and we will have you meet our great chief, Thomas Jefferson. What a great honor it would be for you. Yeah, he was like, get the fuck out of here, man. We're not doing that. Yeah, Just keep that on going. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. You're going to take us to where we're outnumbered? I already see this not going mm-hmm. well for my people. 
Yeah, you already have the better rifles here. <laughs> because the only way that Native Americans, and some of them did have rifles. Uh-huh. But it was trading with French. It was trading. Exactly. And the British would actually, the British were like outfitting like one specific like tribe of of Indians at the point. It was at that point too. further up north. It was like the Blackfoot, I think. The, the Blackfeet, yes. yeah. He's a, we'll talk about Lewis's right under the Blackfoot. It's nuts. But just the way that they would travel to meet these tribes in the amount of time. So I don't really know how far they covered, but 27 days is what you're going in between. And those are travel days to where you are dragging your ass to try to make it to the next location. Mm -hmm. Every time you would show up to a location, it was a 50-50 chance that you had enough good shit to make these people happy to see you. That they were going to want this stuff. uh And if they didn't, they had a chance to just shoot at you. Because <laughs> at this point also, like, keep in mind, this isn't like the first time, like, the fucking pilgrims are jumping off the goddamn Mayflower and they meet the Native Americans and they're like, ooh, beads, let us give you Manhattan. No, no, no. This is at a point when, yes, like, they don't have a ton of the stuff that, like, like a modern civilized, like, home or person would have, but they've traded furs and all this kind of stuff to like other traders like the French and probably Americans too that are also trapping doing mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff for guns. They're taught how to use them for like ammo, the the powder, and they're trading furs to these like white people. So they also know how to fucking negotiate. <laughs> and what happens if the last band of white people that they ran onto didn't end well? Yeah. And then more white people are showing up yeah. and the tribes are thinking, well, maybe and all you this is the wrong thing. Yep. Because you also may not speak what they're speaking. You have to trust that someone like is that's going to be with you is going to be able to translate or that they're going to know enough English to understand what you're trying to tell them. Uh, well, and that leads into September 25th. They had the confrontation with the Lakota Sioux where they rolled up on, it was a group of the Sioux warriors. So it was like a little, little less than a month later. Uh-huh. So they're traveling, they travel out of that area and are, yeah, into the Lakota Sioux territory. And it, that was fucking nuts. Yeah, it was the standoff to end all standoffs. It just felt like everything it was just... They were going to figure out how to get through whatever they were going to get through in a very bad way. So they roll up in the the boat, and they basically have the um, keel boat that they have with them, the 55-foot keel boat. Then they have these things called pirogues. And the way I looked at it, I always see them. It's the things that you see, like, in Hawaii that, like, the um, like natives will use. Like, their canoes with the thing off to the side for the mm-hmm. balance. They're kind of like that, but I think they can also have a little bit of a sail on them. Yeah, I, I would assume so because they they would be able to move quicker than the big boat, but you would still need a little bit of power to them. And then they also had canoes as well. So they they end up meeting with the Lakota Sioux, and there's three chiefs, I think, of the Lakota Sioux there. And then they bring the chiefs out. Like They, of course, see them on the banks or this, they are able to go and contact them. Three chiefs, a whole bunch of warriors come out, and so the warriors are, like, on the bank. They actually take the three chiefs out to the boat. I can't remember. What the fuck was this boat called? I don't know if it ever named it. Uh, I didn't. I, it, it's not coming to mind. The SS Lewis and Clark. The SS Corps of Discovery, whatever it was. Manifest Destiny 1. Then, there you go. They bring out the chiefs. They show them around the boat. Ooh, ah, all that good stuff. And they bring them back in, and as they're bringing them back in, apparently the negotiations on the boat didn't go well. So apparently the trinkets that they were trying to give them and everything weren't really cutting it. So on the way back, 
I guess Lewis is with like another guy that's like um, in the back of the boat or steering or something like that. He's like, as soon as we unload these guys, get this thing turned around, get it back in the water, we're getting back to the boat. Well, as they get the chiefs up onto the bank and everything, apparently some warriors come in behind the other guy and grab like the line that was attached to the boat that kind of lets you guide it. Uh Grab that and they're holding onto it. And Lewis has his translator there. And is basically saying, like, you know, what are you guys doing? You know, this is our stuff. Like, we're not, I think he said something like, we're not squaws. He's like, we're warriors. Like, we will fight you for this kind of stuff. Yeah. One of the squaw was like the lowest of the low. Yeah. Like, we're not going to roll over and just, yeah. So one of the chiefs says something that they've like insulted them with their like attempt at the gifts and all this stuff. And like, the new great leader says something to Lewis, and Lewis draws his sword on him. This was back at a time when, like, this guy was still carrying a sword. So draws his sword on him, and at that point, like, I think the guys behind him draw their pistols, and pretty much then you have every Indian Native or Native American, like, warrior there drawing a bow and arrow aiming them at him. Mm -hmm. So you got to stand off, and I want to say, like, Lewis is telling his interpreter, he's like, keep paying attention to what he's saying, like, keep him talking. That was one of the reasons that Lewis actually got picked too. One of those big things is he's tended to stay very calm, like under pressure. And that's something that Thomas Jefferson didn't notice. So he's telling his interpreter, he's like, keep listening to what he's talking about. Keep telling me what he's saying. And finally, this guy, one of the chiefs steps up and his name is Black Buffalo. Oh, yeah. And Black Buffalo basically deescalates the situation and is like, this isn't going to turn out well for anybody. We'll think about what you said. Um, and at that point, Lewis just kind of like, it's so weird because when they say the term savages, they just mean like all the Native American people. So even when he writes something nice about a group of them, it's like they were the kindest savages we had met along the way. It's just kind of like, huh, inter- interesting kind of juxtaposition of the actual. Your grasp of the English language is so good. Yeah. That when you write, people just want to read it. And the best you could still come up with was savage. Mm-hmm. Friends. Anything. In- indigenous peoples. Yeah. So they end up getting back on the boat and just like hauling ass as fast as they can upriver, I guess, out of there. And I'm sure that like they're following them on the banks for like a, a good portion of time and then until they're completely out of their territory. But after that, like a month later, that's when they end up meeting up with the Mandans, right? Oh, yeah. And that it was October 24th. You got to remember that they're not just on this trip with really no timeline because they've known that when it gets cold, the Rocky Mountains will have snow and they will become impassable Mm -hmm. and they need to get off the Great Plains because there's no lumber to build anything with. So they end up... They were hoping to be up at like the end of the Missouri, like the source of the Missouri River by winter. So, like, the, the traveling, the timeline, they thought they were going to be making a lot better time at yeah, this. Yeah, it, it didn't didn't go, excuse me, well. And I'm sure it's because they just kept running into these unforeseen things. So, October 24th, they meet with the Mandan and the Hidatsu, or the Hidatsa chiefs in North Dakota. They end up finding their winter fort site. It turns out that they spent a pretty decent amount of time hanging out with both the Mandan and the Hidatsa. I think it was the Hadatsa that they were talking to, or maybe it was the Mandan, that they told them that they had run across, it might have been the Lakota Sioux before that, 
Mm-hmm. And the Mandan was kind of at war. Like any time they ran into the Lakota soon, I don't think that's the tribe's name now. I just was too ignorant to look it up. But <laughs> they said we can broker peace for you with the Lakota Sioux, the guys that we were just in trouble with. Yeah, we can broker peace to make hey, sure we that just everything's met them. Good. We're cool. Like on <laughs> yeah. our way back, like we'll smooth everything over. Yeah. So the Mandan's like, cool, man. That's awesome. We like that. That's cool. We'll definitely help you out if you're gonna barter peace. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, this wasn't like, so this was a place because like the Mandan and the Hidatsa, they had just missed some type of big like trade thing that happens in like the fall, like during the harvest time, I guess. Trade of Palooza. Something like that. And so like the Mandan and the Hidatsa would basically, they were kind of, you know, these tribes would actually move around kind of throughout the year. Some of them would. You would summer at this yeah, location. They were nomadic. Exactly. But you would always kind of come back in a certain like mm-hmm. pattern. So you're nomadic, but over the same kind of area. Your grasses come back in the same area. You don't have to look for anywhere new for your, yeah, exactly. your, your cattle. So they kind of come together and they actually had like, I think they were like earthen huts and everything. So they actually had some of these were like large, they were good sized villages. This isn't just like a bunch of teepees like around. This is actually kind of almost like a mini town that they're staying here. And so... Yeah, the Hidatsa and the Mandan were like, yeah, if you guys are going to be cool, you know, go ahead and pick out a a spot a little ways away from our area and go ahead and just like set up a fort. So that's what they ended up doing is they built a fort there. And what they ended up calling it, was it Fort Mandan? It could have been. I don't remember that one. Their forts were very oddly named. And maybe it had more meaning back then. But even the one that they set up on the Pacific, it just has such a weirdly forgettable It's because it was name. named after the Indians that lived there. Oh, was it? I think that's what they did, is they would just name them after the tribe that was n- That makes sense. Them. It's a quick, easy fix. So I'm just going to say Fort Mandan. Okay. So now they're hunkering down for the winter. So they have to wait, essentially, until the river unfreezes, and they're able to actually travel. Well, on, was it November 4th? Yep. So this guy named Toussaint Charbonneau, this... Uh, is he French? French-Canadian? French-Canadian. French-Canadian uh, guy. He's hired as an interpreter. And you don't really hear a lot about, you know, if you're talking about Lewis and Clark, it's Lewis, it's Clark, and it's... Sacagawea. Sacagawea. Now I know what you're thinking here. What are they saying? <laughs> how did you learn it? I know. Growing up, I learned it as Sacagawea. That may be how most people know it as. It's Sacagawea. And it's Shoshone for Bird Woman, right? I think so. Okay. So, sac- I almost did Sacagawea. Just to get this out in the open, I don't want it to sound like we're two new guys that found a new name and want to try to be like smarter than everybody else. We're just trying to get it right. Yeah, just, just looking for accuracy. And honestly, I've kind of fallen in love with it because when I would try to write out Sacagawea, I didn't know where to put the J, mm-hmm. but Sacagawea flows to me better. And it does you, it. It writes exactly the way that it sounds. Yes. Or vice versa. So Sacagawea is actually Charbonneau's 15-year-old pregnant wife. And she was captured, I can't remember how many years ago, but she was captured during a raid by the man down in the Hidatsa on the Shoshone. So, I mean... These tribes don't like each other. No. Like they're stealing each other's people and everything like that. And then they all kind of break off to their own lands and then they like send raids on each other. So she was actually captured by the man down the dots and then sold to Charbonneau. Um, sold to Charbonneau. Yeah, just, sold to Charbonneau. <laughs> just to really drive that and point he has home. This, and he has a second wife as well. I think so. I believe so. She and didn't make the trip. No. Again, she is 15 and she is pregnant at this point. So she 
him being hired, that automatically brings her along on the journey. Um, well, and she was also really crucial, and we'll talk about why she was crucial, but part of Charbonneau's deal was he would be able to communicate with some of the tribes, but his big selling point on Sacagawea coming was when they had to get to the Shoshone people, they were going to need her to interpret their language to Toussaint, then Toussaint will interpret the language to their interpreter in French, mm-hmm. and then the French guy will interpret them to Louis. Because they so, were going to be re- really reliant on the Shoshone for, like, horses. Yep. And they need to get over land. So, yeah, what was it? So it went... Because I know when Louis was meeting with Toussaint, he had to have his French to English interpreter. Uh-huh. So... You had to go because when Toussaint was trying to like pitch himself to Lewis to get hired to do this, he was like, "Well, you don't speak English though, because they're going through an interpreter." He's like, "No." He's like, "But I can speak Hidatsa. I can translate Hidatsa into French. Your guy can do French to English." He's like, "Our our messages even get a. It's like playing the telephone game." Yeah, except for you're doing it in different languages. Yes. Chicago Way is telling you what the Shoshone are speaking. Then you're using through Mandan, mm-hmm. then you're using that to translate to the French guy, and then the French guy has to get all the feeling from what Sakaga Way translated. It's like 30 seconds between like uh, when someone talks and then you finally hear what they say, and you're like, did you really say that? Does that sound like what you said? <laughs> so this is how Sakaga Wea actually gets um, brought into the core of Discovery. And as she's pregnant at the time, it was, I think... When did she end up giving birth? You were right. Fort Mandan finally completed... The grand old day, December 24th, for that winter. Okay. So that's the other thing, too. December 24th isn't the beginning of winter. There had to be some cold fucking times while they were building Fort Mandan into the winter time. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, so, they've already started to look for a place in October. <laughs> it's There were definitely some cold nights just hoping to get it done. Oh, yeah, and that's the thing is they were very reliant on the Mandan and the Hidatsa for food because they weren't used to the lay of the land and surviving off the land in that degree. They didn't also... They wanted to go ahead and save their stores because they knew they were going to just have to go on the trip. They just didn't make any any you know headway, uh-huh. and they're just eating through all their food. They're not going to have any you know for the rest of the trip. The other thing that they told the Mandan and the Hadatsa, just wintering with them, they just felt like they really liked them and wanted to drive it home. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, when we come over here, when the great chief comes over and takes over your land, we're going to put trading posts in here that you guys are going to be able to trade directly with us. Like, they were doing them a favor by putting American installations yeah. on a, their land. They had a guy that was, like, a blacksmith's apprentice, too. Yeah. So he was, like, doing stuff for them, and like, fixing, like, hatchets and all that kind of shit. So, like, there was a little bit of give and take there. Um, Lewis actually is called upon one night when, um, Sakakawea is in labor and to come in and midwife. So he goes in there. It's, it's not going well. He's had three months of medical training. He was never going to go I know. Well. He never thought this was going to have to fucking be so. <laughs> yeah. No, there were no women on the trip when he left St. <laughs> Louis. They didn't cover pregnancy. No. So apparently someone said that you can ease pregnancy with ground up rattlesnake rattle or something. And he just so happened to, because when they were traveling up every night that they would, you know, pull over and stay, they would be trying to capture animals, capture things that they'd never seen before. They'd found a rattlesnake, they'd killed it. He took the rattle, probably had some other parts of it. They fucking trapped a ground squirrel. (laughs) Oh, prairie dog. I, some people know them. Yeah. They captured a prairie dog and spent an afternoon trying to capture this thing. They ended up flooding one out of a hole, put it in a cage, <laughs> and were taking that with them because they wanted to have a live sample to take back to fucking Thomas Jefferson. And so he goes and he gets some of the rattlesnake rattle, 
crushes it up, she drinks it, and just, I'm pretty sure just by chance of the natural occurrence of labor, somehow the labor starts going well again, and, and he ends up delivering her child. And this sounds weird that Sakagawea would have a child named this, but remember, the father gets to name the kid, mother doesn't get a choice here, and the child is Jean-Baptiste Charbonneau. Kid doesn't stand a chance, especially being half Native American. You're not going to yeah. look right being Jean Baptiste. Yeah, what are those? What are the kids? If you want to try to blend in with the Native American kids, be like, "Oh, look at Jean Baptiste." He keeps asking you for croissants and cigarettes, and you don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Croissant. All right, so they are getting ready to leave. The journey is getting back on. Yeah, we still got to talk about Pompey. Oh, why they named him that? Uh, well. Like you were talking about, Lewis was not a fan of Charbonneau whatsoever. No. He thought Charbonneau was a dickhead. He thought he was a grifter, which probably was. Uh, but he really didn't like him. For some reason, and I don't know if maybe Clark had the hots for Chicago way, I'd love to see like an actual rendering or picture that would be close, because I bet we're probably not terribly accurate on like her coins or anything like that, or pictures of her that we draw. I don't know. I'm sure there's some sketches of her. I'm sure someone did sketches. But... I think William Clark probably thought she was a looker and for some reason was cool with Toussaint and he absolutely loved Jean Baptiste and excuse me, his nickname for him was Pompey. Was it Lewis or Clark? Uh, Clark. Okay. Well, yeah. they called him Pompey cause didn't he like to like dance or something like the uh. baby would dance or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but I don't get the Pompey reference. I, it could be something in one of like in French or something like that. That's but, true. <sighs> it might be workaholics. I think he's talking about his grandpa, and his grandpa's name is Pumpy. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. So they end up naming, was it a name or an inscription later on that they do for him? And it's like one of the only relics of... It's a pillar in Yellowstone. Oh, is that what it is? pillar. And it's the only proof, the actual surviving proof, aside from the literature and the books and the journals and, and the stuff. And the mercury latrines. And the mercury latrines. It's the only physical evidence that the um, core of Discovery made it there because Clark carved his name into this pillar, like a sandstone pillar, and it, it lasted long enough. All right, August 7th, which seems late as shit in 1805. That's already four months into the new year. Ice is broken up in the river. They can finally continue. And before we can continue, I need August to go pee. 7th? April 7th. Oh, April 7th. April 7th. All right, bathroom break. Okay. All right, while we take a break from class and uh, take care of some business, you can also take care of some business. If you don't follow us on Instagram or Twitter already, our Instagram handle is historically high pod. That's historically high POD. And our Twitter is historically high. That's historically HI. All right, and back to our show. All right, it's time to shove off again. So the whole time, too, like Lewis and Clark kind of aren't like sitting on their sitting on their thumbs this entire winter. They're basically communicating and talking to the chiefs and all of like the elders of this um, Mandan and Hidatsa village. And it's like, hey, what are we going to find if we keep going up? Like, can you describe to me? So he's getting trying to get the lay of the land as much mm-hmm. as possible. So during his time there, they tell him that he's going to eventually come to like the Great Falls of the Missouri River and that um, they're going to have to get out and like go around and stuff. But he also tells them they also hear stories of giant animals like i don't think i don't know if if people have much bear related experience or bear related knowledge here but back east there are black bears Uh and 
out west there are black bears, but back east there are not grizzlies. So people there, unless they've you know seen them on TV and movies and everything, I don't think really get the scope and the size of a grizzly. Now back east is like Yogi Bear. Those those are the bears that get in your trash can, uh-huh. and you jump out and like the videos that you see like on Instagram where like the bears going up to the Mercedes and they're like, "Hey, quit messing with my Mercedes!" and it like opens it and gets scared off by the car alarm, stealing picnic baskets, yes, pies off of windows, but, lovable bears, yes. So like April twenty fifth rolls around, and after leaving and going upriver more because the river is going to start to get smaller and narrower, um, the keelboat's going to have a tougher time with it. So they actually send the keelboat back with like 12 guys. They end up going down to, I think, 32. Well, wasn't that the group that they sent back to Jefferson with the first amount of findings? Yeah, they sent a whole bunch of stuff, like some journals and like the fucking prairie dog and shit and everything. <laughs> they sent that back to Jefferson. So even if they didn't make it any further, at least he had some of this stuff that they caught. Uh-huh. I think they also sent back a couple guys that had been like court-martialed for some like either failure to, to obey commands or like some drunken shit that happened. Tomfoolery. Yep. And so they're basically at this point, they're in those pirogue things and then the canoes. Dude, you're taking all of your, and these are not like modern canoes. These are fucking dugouts. Of cottonwood trees that they just learned from the Native Americans. Yes. How to make. So they're chopping these giant logs and literally carving these canoes that are going to have to survive this entire trip. And not only that, they're carrying all of their supplies as well. Do you know how much whiskey they took with them? It probably was most of what they took, right? Well, part of being like, I guess, in the military at this point or doing these types of like frontier things, uh-huh. you were supposed to have a whiskey ration of around four ounces a day. <laughs> Just to stave off the alcohol. Just to stave off. There you go. They took a hundred and gal- 120 gallons of whiskey. On this voyage. And you know you weren't getting rid of any of that if you needed to lighten the load. That's just just for morale, dude. That and the tobacco that they brought. And the opium. Did did they bring opium? Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure it was opium that they brought because that's what uh, Lewis came back with a real addiction for. Oh, that's right. Yep. So all of this shit, not only that. So, like, we're talking about all of the, like, tools that they're using. They have quadrants and navigational tools. Um, Lewis had a desk, a A writing writing desk. desk. That he was bringing with him so he could keep his journals. They were taking all of their food, all the things to set up camp, all of the muskets, all of the ammo. All of this shit is in fucking canoes, man. <laughs> so there's like 32 guys left, I think, something in that neighborhood. 31, 32. They're all in fucking canoes, and they're all heading up river. And they finally reach the Yellowstone River on the 25th, and then the 27th of April... Beargate. <laughs> that wasn't even Beargate. So how many of them? There were seven of them, right? Yeah. So Not seven bears. Th- the primary medicine that they brought along on this trip, like you say, was the whiskey. Mm-hmm. Then there was opium. And then there was something called medical wine, which I'm sure... Fortified wine? Yeah, it had to have been fortified wine. Something that was just incredibly strong to be able to take the edge off. That's true. So for, like, if oh, you, for like, sur- like uh-huh. yeah, surgical shit. If you had a stub toe... Were you just like, oh, uh, my wine? Give me the wine or give, give me the, the wine opium. Skin. Yep. Like, opium. <laughs> Pass me the toast of wineskin. <laughs> this one's this one's horrible. So, the first time they see a grizzly bear, they fucking 
they're like, okay, we've got to kill this thing, obviously. We've never seen this before. We've never seen this, so let's fucking kill it. Uh-huh. They'd heard about it. The mm-hmm. natives had told them about it. So there's like seven guys, and they're like 40 yards from the bear, right? Like up on a hill. And they're like, okay, all five of us are going to aim at this thing and shoot it. <laughs> you two guys are going to hold off in case the five shots don't work. You guys then put it. Yeah. You guys put it down with your two shots. No problem. Bob's your uncle. This bear's dead. <laughs> One, two, three. Boom, 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 boom. Five shots. I don't know if they all hit the bear. I assume all of them are probably like, yeah, I hit the bear. Yeah, I hit the bear. Mm-hmm. This thing fucking just roars and fucking stands up and sees them and fucking starts straight for them. The other two guys, I think, shoot. One hits it in the shoulder and it kind of like staggers it a little bit. And I think the other one misses and they all just fucking take off running. And the bear ends up like, did it, it chases them all to the edge of the fucking... Yellowstone River, uh-huh. and it's like a 20-foot drop. The guys don't even think about it. They pitch their rifles off to the side because they can't get them in the water and get them wet. They at least they had the wherewithal to do that. Plus, yeah. it's not weight. They fucking jump off, and as they hit the water, they get up and start to see and see the boat and start to swim toward it. They hear a fucking huge-ass splash behind them and turn and look, and the fucking bear <laughs> dove in after them. Oh. Now, just to, to think about this, they probably knew what bears were on land, and they could have thought, hey, if we jump in the water, we'll be safe. Like, this guy won't go in the water, not knowing that bears and water pretty much go together really well. Like, bears can swim, they fish. I mean, people fish. have probably seen black bears swim, but I think yeah, it's one maybe. of those things where it's like, maybe they think they don't like it. Like, mm-hmm. bears, because of the salmon thing, bear, as bears water. and water, that's what you see half of them. Yeah. They're standing in a stream fucking catching uh-huh. fish. So, this thing fucking dives in after them. <laughs> bears swim fast. Uh-huh. Answer most humans. And, yes, and start catching up to these guys. And as it's getting close, they hear a crack and turn, look up, and one of the guys is still standing up on the ledge and had domed the bear. And they just see the bear float in the water and like blood coming from its head. And then they let the bear just fucking float down river. I, I'm sure they didn't know if it was dead yet. That's probably true. They probably didn't want to deal with maybe we him only being in Yeah, we just shot him seven times and he didn't go down. Yeah. But can like okay. I got to I got to pause on this for a second. How the fuck like that's got to be the most terrifying hands down. Like this is twice as big as anything you've ever seen before. And you shoot five guys, and you're just like, normally these things go down with like two or three shots. Uh-huh. We shoot this thing with five guys, and it just makes the thing charge us. Like, and, and now guess what? We're in these things' territory. This is something that we're going to have to worry about for the <laughs> remainder of this journey. I don't think this is the only bear here. Like, we've stumbled <laughs> upon the only one. Like, it's got friends out there. I, they said that, they were really, or the historians said they were really confused when the Native Americans were telling them about the bears. They're like, this has to be a great food source. And Native Americans are like, mm, we don't really mess with them. Why not? Why don't you mess with bears? Bears have, have a ton of meat. Yeah. They, they got to be a good source of food. And the Native Americans are just like, no, we're, we're cool. We're, we're not going to go after Silly them. Silly fucking white man. <laughs> and they said after this first run in with the bear, it was very rare that they ever even tried to take down a bear after that because they had seen how tough it was. Mm-hmm. So they kind of adopted the, oh, okay. 
this is what the natives were talking about. It's just the juice isn't worth the squeeze. If it's brown, thing. we go around. <laughs> that was their new policy on bears. If it's brown, we go around. That was good. Well, and as if they weren't impressed enough by the bears, about a month later, they see the Rocky Mountains for the first time. Yeah. Uh, May 26th, they lay eyes on the Rocky Mountains. What do they see when they see the tops of those Rocky Mountains that they're not used to seeing? Snow. They're like, it's fucking May. And the tops of these look like they're still in the dead of winter. And we have to go over those. Well, and there's, I'm sure there's skiable mountains in the Rockies year-round. Well, I mean, Denver's in the Rockies, and Denver has ski resorts. Year-round, though? Huh? Like, could you go skiing in the summer? Oh, shit, I don't know about that. Because I know... There's that one in, I think it's Oregon or Washington, where you can, there's snow year-round. Really? Might be Mount Hood, maybe? They do end up seeing Mount Hood Uh, in Oregon. uh, So the snow, as far as that goes, the highest of the highs are going to pretty much have snow on them for most of the year, if not all of the year. And you don't really know the route to traverse there because you've just seen them for the first time. Here's the other thing, too. Okay, so you're looking at them. And I have to imagine, like, when th- they're looking out in the distance and they see that, they're like, well, those can't be mountains. That's way too fucking big. And then as they get closer, those those are fucking mountains. And those still have snow on them. Here's the thing, too. You're only able to see where the mountains start. It's not like, do you ever think that there's this weird misconception when people talk about mountain ranges? That it's like, the mountain range, the mountain goes up, and on this side is just a nice flat valley and it's this side and then you get up over the hill and on this side it's a nice flat valley. Yeah, it's just one range. peak. That it's runs one and the it's just a big line. long spine that goes down and that's the mountain range. Uh-uh. This is like you get up to the top of it and then you look across and it's just nothing but mountain range for as far as you're looking across the the skinny part of it. So this is something that they've never seen before and it ends up being the probably the most I think it was the most dangerous portion was getting across the Rockies. Oh, but they're they're just within sight of the Rockies. They're not even there yet. So on June 1st, they actually come to a fork in the river, and Lewis and Clark are like, well, fuck, the tribal elders didn't tell us about this fork. They just told us we're going to come to a Great Falls. We, we've run off of the map. Yeah. We don't have anything else nope. to really go we're, by. As they're going upriver, Lewis is literally drawing the map. Uh-huh. Here's the thing, too, man. And I, I'm going to state state it now because it's such an impressive feat when all was said and done the the trip was about four thousand miles i think they said they traveled just one way right and it that to me doesn't make sense but i didn't realize like it's four thousand miles in a jiggity jaggedy like yeah, trying to follow rivers because uh, some you know they're going at uh-huh. some point they're going northwest and then they're going southwest and yeah. it's going kind of everywhere it's not it's just a straight shot yeah, it's wherever the terrain allows them to go. Uh-huh. It's not as the crow flies. So during his mapping, Lewis was somehow, in regards to miles, so accurate that his map was accurate for the distance. Did you hear to within 40 miles? Really? That 40, whole way? The whole way. Jeez. He was somehow that accurate over the course of 4,000 miles. Yeah, he probably didn't put in like all the wrong turns and everything. He just made it a part of the route. <laughs> no, he it. You can see the path in which they took the wrong way because when they come back, they take a different route. They're able to bridge the short shortcuts. Okay. So they come to a fork in the river. Lewis and Clark are like, okay. So one fork kind of looks like it goes almost like due north. The other one 
actually kind of goes west. And they're like, well, this this one is going west. This has obviously got to be the way. And the entire rest of the core discovery, all the other men were like, we actually think it's the the right fork, the one that goes kind of north. We think that one, there was something about the water out of that one being clearer and then the water out of the one to the left of Lewis and Clark being muddier. It, it was murkier because it was just more shallow. Yeah, and so because it was going to be a bitch to drag everything across. And it was something also to do with like the falls were supposed to like stir up sediment, so there was still churning, and that's why it was muddier and everything because somehow that's what the source of the whole rest of the Missouri mm-hmm. looked muddier. So they're like, this has to be the main Missouri portion because it's got brings in all the mud and the dirt. Well, and I believe didn't they branch off into two groups? And they one went of them forty miles north, up each south. way, and I think when they went forty miles up each way. Lewis went down the one they thought it was going to go or the vice south. Far. I can't remember there. who went on which one. Because I think Lewis hears the falls. And he, off in the distance, they see like the um, mist, the mist rising. The, like it looks like a fire and everything. So they're able to determine. And I think the, they went 40 miles up the other way. And when they saw the falls, they were like, okay, let's meet back here. It's obviously got to be this way because this guy was talking about the falls. So they name the one that goes to the north. They named that the Mariah. And if you look at a map, the Mariah goes north for just a little bit, and then it turns like due west <laughs> and takes them almost all the way into Idaho. Well, the one that they end up going through, and at this point, the men are completely trusting of Lewis and Clark, too, because they haven't really, they've only lost one guy. They've kept them out of, you know, being yeah. in fights with the Native Americans. Nobody's so, died by bear. Exactly. So they have a lot of trust in their, in their commanders. So they're like, okay, we trust you. We're going to go ahead and go this way. So they get to the falls on June 13th. They get everyone there. Well, it turns out it's not just a great falls as in like one. It's the great falls as in five. And if because the water is flowing essentially east, they're coming in at the bottom of the falls and having to go up. Yeah. So it's not like you're going to take a fucking canoe over the falls anyway. No. And try to fucking Niagara evil Knievel it. This but isn't like the, these aren't like C4 rapids. This is a full on drop. Yes. Like these you, are like a series of fucking, it. like one of them kills you. The next one crushes your body. The next one, there's nothing left of you when you get yeah. down to the, the last one. So this is where they have to use that lovely word you used previously, portage. And portage, ladies and gentlemen, is the term used when you are forced to remove your um, watercraft and carry it over land. And this isn't something to where they could just like throw backpacks on and do that kind of shit because you can't leave the boats there. You need them for when you get to pass the falls because it's way faster regardless of how much current there is. It's way easier to actually take the stuff by water because you're taking all of this equipment. You can float it. You have to bring the boats down with you so you can use them again. Exactly. Because you're not going to, you don't know if there's going to be trees there for you to go ahead and carve new canoes out of. And plus, you just spent like a good chunk of time during the winter making these fucking canoes. Like, you don't have time to wait around like that again. So, it takes them, they only have to portage for 18 miles. And I know that doesn't, that sounds like a lot if you're fucking carrying a canoe. But... It takes them a fucking month and a half to go 18 miles. There's marathons that are 18 miles that people complete in like, what, like four hours? Yeah, marathons are like hours. 24 miles. Yeah. It's like 24.2 or whatever complete those stupid them in like stickers a, a on the four, back of five, people's cars say. Yeah, four, five, six hours. <laughs> 
So this is, what was this stuff? It was some type of like cactus or was it, it was some type of scrub brush or something. And it was like so prevalent. I didn't hear about this. You, you didn't hear about uh-uh. this? So the reason it took them so fucking long wasn't just because of the train. It's because of this cactus stuff. I'm trying to fucking remember what it was called. Like a thicket? No, it was on the ground. Because what it would do, again, this isn't at a time when there's fucking sold shoes. You're wearing fucking leather-bottomed, yeah. like, skin moccasins. It would tear them up in two days. So they said that they would have to get moccasins, sew them and make them. The first day, it would tear them up. they then patch them that night. And by the se- end of the second day, all the patches and the whole thing was gone. So they had to use that night then to make new moccasins. Jeez. For everyone just to get through here. For, and their feet just got completely annihilated. Oh, I can imagine. And of course, what are you going to... It's not like you're like, oh, well, why don't you soak them in Epsom salts and, or soak them and rest your feet at the end? No, it's like, can, can I get my fucking whiskey now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, give me my opium and my whiskey. Let yeah, I'm saving all four of my ounces of whiskey. <laughs> One of the guys also, uh, going back to the grizzly bear shit... The guy that shot it off the rock, I don't know if this is fully accurate or not, but one of the guys said or was taken like his journal down too, his private journal. One of the guys like yelled out, he's like, I think somebody owes me their whiskey rations for the night or part of their whiskey rations yeah, for that, the night. Yeah. So yeah, a month and a half to go 18 miles. Well, <coughs> excuse me. The one thing I think I did learn from Almost Heroes I didn't really quite have a grasp of how Portage worked <coughs> just because the, the act of like pushing it along and rolling it along trees. Yeah. For some reason, I thought they only had like 10 trees and they would just roll it over the log, pick the log up, put it in front and do it that way. We're talking about the like the... How you move pyra- a hot tub. Like the pyramid theory. Like yeah. They have the okay. round and they right. move the big stone around. You yeah. went pyramid, I went hot tub. I think that explains our I knew exactly what you meant by hot tub, but yeah. people, people may not have a hot tub and know that that's how you move okay. it. Okay. But... It makes total sense that they would just chop down all these trees that were in their way so then they could continue to roll them onto another tree. So they would clear the area, and then down one side of it, they would chop a tree down, let it fall, roll it onto that one, chop another tree down, let it fall, roll it onto that one. And that's going to take time, and it's going to burn out every person that has to chop down a tree. No so shit. You, and what are you doing to all your tools? Yeah, you can only Constantly move this. so fast. Yeah. You can only enact so much many repairs and sharpenings and like mm-hmm. stuff like that to get ready for the next day. Well, by June 25th, they make it past and everything. And, um, Chicago, why can't I'm Chicago way? Oh my God. I keep wanting to do the other one. Chicago way. She saw the beaver. She saw, saw the, beaver. the beaver head rock, baby. So she sees this rock formation, in the distance. She's like, I recognize this. She's like, I, I recognize this as a someplace as someplace that when I was a young girl, this is where we used to summer. We used to be in this area. Before the man then took me and Charbonneau bought me. Yeah. <laughs> before the dark days, before the empire. Um, she's like, I'll she's like, I'll prove it to you. Coming up here, we're gonna come to a fork of we're gonna come to three rivers coming into this one. And so I think within a couple of days they actually came to that. And so they come to those three rivers. And so now they have another fucking decision to make because you have three now instead of the two. Uh-huh. And again, uncharted fucking territory. So they name one of them, they named two of the forks after members of Congress that helped actually put the Louisiana Purchase together. And then they named the fork to the farthest right. They named that one the Jefferson. And Sacagawea, did I pronounce that right? Sacagawea. Sacagawea. God damn it. I'm combining it. 
Sacagawea is like, we're going to go up the Jefferson because this is what I recognize. And this will take us to what I remember as an area in which like, this is the part of the river that we stayed along as the Shoshone. Mm -hmm. So they end up on August 12th. They're traveling along this, the Jefferson fork. And this is when they actually hit the continental divide. So you're going to have to re-explain the continental divide because I didn't remember or I didn't know exactly what it was. And then you explained it. I thought the continental divide was just the Rocky Mountains. It it is. So the continental divide is the point in which water flows front to the Pacific. Okay. All water flows down. It's slanting down the other direction. Whereas all the water on the east side of the continental divide all somehow flows its way into, I think the, like the, the Gulf of Mexico through the Missouri. Yeah. It's gotta be. There's no way it could get to the Atlantic. There's no way that it can get past the Mississippi. Yeah. Everything okay. is flowing back into the Mississippi, so all the stuff that flows into the Atlantic, well, technically it does because the Gulf of Mexico is the Atlantic. But not, you still have to go not like... The, not the East Coast. Missi- or, yeah, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana. This is going to sound so weird and so simple to think about, but it's got to be crazy. What would it be like to never see water... I mean, you would see water flowing that direction... But, like, you are now, like, now we're going this way. This oh. is the way the current's changing. And now it's all pointing this way. The way that we were going upriver the entire time is now us going downriver. Yeah, it's like the toilet's spinning the wrong way, or the opposite, not way. the wrong way, but the opposite way in the southern hemisphere, right? Yeah. And so, at this point, he crosses the Continental Divide, but this is just Lewis and, like, a small, like, group. Because as they're crossing over and, you know, going through the Rockies and everything, they're getting into some trouble where they're running out of food. They're not able to find animals to hunt. I think they find a couple grouse one day and they're having to kind of dip in and really go through all of their stores. Um, so they're like, okay, Lewis is like, I'm going to take our strongest guys. We're going to go ahead and we're going to try to find the Shoshone. Once we find them, we're going to come back and, and grab you guys and meet you guys to bring you back. So they... They go down, they come down off the mountains, um, and they see off in the distance, they see kind of like a young boy on a horse. And the kid's just like looking at him, and I think it's like Jeff, or it's not Jefferson, it's Lewis and like five guys, and he gets the attention. He like flaps a blanket three times, which is from what he learned from the other tribes, it's supposed to be like a symbol of like peace, I think, peace or something like that. And he like sets his rifle down like so the kid can see him he starts kind of walking toward him with like his hands up and the other guys are kind of coming moving in from the sides there were two guys behind him and then there were two people flanking on either side yeah and so he sees the two guys flanking him and thinks he's like in an ambush rightfully so like this isn't not only is he seeing again they're like full bearded at this point they're very like hairy that seems like a weird thing to mention but um Native American culture is a culture of, like, staying clean-shaven. Never thought about this. Really? But then looking back on it... Yeah, no, I I thought about this during this time when they were talking about the bearded Mm -hmm. part, and I'm glad you brought it up because it was something that has just never in my life occurred to me. I don't know if I've ever seen a Native American with a beard, like, ever. Yeah. And in the same way, that means that no one in their culture has ever seen anyone with a beard. Uh-huh. And so when they see these people, they think that they're some type of like creatures or animals or something. So this kid's fucking freaked out already. Yeah. <laughs> so he ends up hightailing it and fucking riding off. And Lewis is like, fuck. And then turns to one of the guys. He's like, you fucked it up. You shouldn't have been getting so close to him. He's like, that was our chance. So he's like, the only option we have now is we're going to go ahead and try to follow because 
odds are he's riding back to his tribe. Get the troops. So they're, um, they keep traveling along what they think is the path that this, this kid went and they end up running into three Shoshone women, like out gathering, like a couple miles away from, from the, the main village. It's like an old broad and two young ones. Yep. The two young ones, one of the young ones takes off running to get away. They think that they're basically just like happened to Skagawea. 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 Getting captured by the um, man down in the Hidatsa, they think that they're getting captured by another tribe. Yeah. So the old woman and the young girl basically just drop to their knees and put their heads down. And Lewis comes up to them and he's like, no, no, no. And he like gives them handkerchiefs and stuff. And that was one of the things that they would give was like pieces of like ribbon and like silk and like fine fabrics. Beads too, I think. And gives them to these women as like, you know, in as much as he can trying to say like, we're friendly, you know, we're, we're not here. But again, these are these big fucking hairy bearded guys. They just smelled horrible and just crawled out of the fucking hills. Uh-huh. So as like, they're traveling with these women, you know, toward the Shoshone village, 60 warriors and the chief come out to meet them. And, and that little boy, I'm sure. And that little boy going, that's fucking them, the monsters. <laughs> And so they come out, you know, they got the fucking bows and arrows ready to, ready to go. And the old woman is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, no. Like, these guys have been kind. They're not trying to abduct us or anything like that. And Everybody kept their hands to themselves. They've all been gentlemen. Mm-hmm. And so the chief is um, Kamehawait. Chief Kamehawait. And so they go... And he's like, we, we need horses. There's more of us and everything. We're, we want to be friendly. The Shoshone were known as a more kind of like peaceful. Uh-huh. They were, I think, being, were they the ones that were at kind of war with the Blackfoot? And they were like, we don't have weapons. The Blackfoot have this entire, this huge advantage over us by having these weapons. So they were trying to also be friendly with the white man to basically have an in to, to get supplies. That was part of it. Cause I think that was part of like the agreement with taking the horses was that they would then arm them when mm-hmm. they would be coming back through when they were taking over their land. Yeah. And he's like, okay. So he's like, we'll go with you to pick up the rest of your guys. Cause then if something happens and this really is a trap, we can just fucking kill you at that yeah. point. So they actually go, they end up meeting up with Clark and the rest of the guys and they bring them down to the Shoshone forest. You can't fucking write this shit. Yeah. You cannot write this shit. Sacagawea. Sacagawea is looking at Kamehawait. And all of a sudden she has this realization and she's like, holy shit. She's like, that's my brother. (laughs) That's, I I knew my brother before I got kidnapped and they had this, you know, she breaks down and everything. They had this huge reunion and she's sitting there trying to be the translator between Kamehawait and like, Toussaint and then to the French the guy. Weird the weird game of The telephone. weird fucking translation chain. And like, what are the fucking odds? Uh, I don't even know if you could put odds on it just because it was such such crazy happenstance. I, we're going to be remiss if we don't mention the lady that they thought was ape shit crazy in the village. Yes. <laughs> old Maggie or whatever is like she was the one who was found is that what her name ended up translating to uh lost and found the one that was lost and found she was taken by another tribe they treated her absolutely she terribly kidnapped by the blackfoot yeah uh, that must have been the blackfoot she then got sold to white, white people, people. Mm-hmm. and they were 
compared to the Blackfoot kind to her. Yeah. Or treated her nice. Much, much better. Not well enough that she didn't escape, though, <laughs> and get back to the Shoshone. Fair. And so she was like a pariah because they were like, you're talking about these like bearded furry, men, bearded white people and all this kind of stuff and all of like the crazy advanced stuff that they had. And she's like, no, no, no. These are the people I was fucking telling yeah. you about. I fucking told you. Who's crazy now? Mm-hmm. As she's sitting there munching on a fucking cow pie. <laughs> she's like, I told this, you. I done told you. I'm going to eat this cow shit because that's all you give me. But just understand. She's like, no, no, no. They about. can grow facial hair. They don't have a problem with it. They do that. But yeah, so you also have, so not only do you have this woman in Skagawea that is able to, you know, help them navigate and find their way here and is now gives you an in with the Shoshone, you then have this other woman that is also like, yeah, you know, these white people aren't all bad. You had a co-signer on what was going on. Exactly. And Skagaway at that point had really like kind of proven herself to be a crucial part of the journey. Dude, she's carrying and caring for a fucking newborn baby yeah. during this entire time. I, there were times I think it was a canoe had flipped on the water and instead of trying to like rescue herself and all of the like the uh, dudes were like freaking out yeah, and like, panicking yep. and trying to get stuff and she very calmly like went about in the water grabbing all of like Lewis's like instruments and stuff like that and got them back and he kind of looked at her and he was like, "Oh goddamn, she's She's good. She's cold as ice. Yeah. She knows what she's fucking doing. I got my boys over here freaking pissing in their Every pants. Every man for themselves. She's got a freaking baby Bjorn on <laughs> and John Baptiste strapped her back and she's gathering all this shit out of the water. So that that really spoke volumes to Lewis and, and Clark and everyone to trust her that she was reliable and that she was like, you know, calm under pressure. So the whole point of meeting up with the Shoshone is because at this point, after they leave the Missouri, go up over the falls... Lewis has has had this understanding now that there is no waterway. There is no, you know, what they wanted to consider the Northwest Passage is basically when you hear that term. Thomas Jefferson's biggest hope for this whole trip is dashed. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not, and it, to him though, he's like, you know, there were so many different various missions during this or objectives. He's like, the big one is a bust, yeah. but we're not going to let this be for naught. We can still figure out a way to... He kind of had this idea based on like the Shoshone and the horses. He's like, well, what if we can just establish almost like a, a land channel to where yeah. we can be using these pack horses and everything with the Shoshone and just bringing stuff over land? Because the Shoshone were like, oh, yeah, like there's ways you can get to the Columbia. Like, we'll show you. We'll just establish a friendship route, basically. Yeah. And so they end up getting um, some horses. The Shoshone give them, like, the scraps of, like, the yeah. horses. Like, not the good ones. They're like, sure, why, guys, you can have these horses. They probably had, like, some old ones. They're getting ready to fucking get put out to pasture and shit. That one has three legs. Just put less weight on it. That has three more legs than your current invisible horse <laughs> yeah. has. So yeah. do you want the fucking horse or not? Oh, I'm sorry. How many legs do you have now? None? Okay. Yeah. So it takes them up until uh, September 11th to kind of regain their strength and everything. Why does September 11th just, is that the American thing? I, I guess. I swear every story we tell that goes back like at a certain time, September 11th hits on damn near everything. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too is they're having to kind of recover from coming out of this, off this like 18 miles and oh, a month yeah. and a half and all that kind of shit. So... The next leg they have is basically the most dangerous leg, and they're having to cross the Bitterroot Mountains. And the Shoshone are like, hey, you know, if you go west from here, 
you have to go over these mountains. It'll take you to this river, and then you can take that river to the to the Columbia. If you go north a little bit, you can actually be over these mountains. And they said, like, he's like, you can be over these mountains in five days. There's also a waterway that then takes you in another fashion down to the Columbia. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, why don't we just fucking take the five days? Of course, that's what we want to do. So it ends up taking them. They get sent with a guide. His name is, what do they call him? Old Toby? That sounds right. Oh, we didn't even mention York. No, no. So, and this guy... Didn't mention York or um, William, or Meriwether Lewis's seaman. You want to explain that first before yeah. I explain York? Okay, go it's ahead. It's going to be very easy. His Newfie, his Newfoundland. That's right. Newfoundland dog. That's right. His name was Seaman because somehow Newfoundlands are like known for saving people that fall out of boats. Uh-huh. So it is spelled S-E-A-M-E-N. But at the same time, M-A-N. like you tell me Lewis is walking around camp. He's like, has anybody seen my semen? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a term back then. It wasn't a scientific term for that. You don't think so? No, I don't what think What did they it call was. it back then? I don't know. Baby gravy? I don't know. Uh, huh. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Uh, semen, I don't even think is a medical term, is it? It's like ejaculate? Yeah. I don't know. We're not doctors. No. Definitely not. We're not. We're not Meriwether Lewis. Oh yeah, uh, Lewis brought semen on the trip, and again, he is counted amongst the non-casualties because he makes it the entire trip. I, Although at one point, almost gets stolen for like a couple of days by some Native <laughs> Americans, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and they say that semen is like the, one of the most traveled dogs in world's history oh, because yeah. of this trip that he made. I just a crazy story to think that you could bring a dog and judging by their history of how things got dark with dogs. Oh yeah. Um it, it's amazing and they said that that was a non-negotiable. No, well, Lewis was like only if anyone's eaten my dog. Yeah. It's going to be me and I will decide when I choose to eat my dog. Well, and they said out of everybody in the whole core of discovery that only or Clark was the only one that they said never ate dog. Yeah. Because it was a weird... Too close to home, baby. Well, it was Clark, though. It wasn't Lewis. Lewis oh. had semen, and he still ate dog. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Just not semen. That's true. <laughs> okay. He didn't eat semen. Okay. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know what happened. The dog semen came back. There you go. Okay. So, York was um, actually William Clark's slave, and he was a big black dude, and the first time when they came out of the hills, and that band of the Shoshone, those 60 warriors came up. When they first saw them, they thought that York was in charge because he was bigger and stronger than everyone else. (laughs) They had never seen a black black guy before and everything. So when they first saw him, they were coming up and like rubbing dirt on his face to kind of see if it would like rub the mud if Uh. he had mud on him. And after they figured out that was his skin, they were like, what the fuck? Like, we've never seen anyone like you before. But they initially thought that he was in charge. When York pulled pulled women the whole entire time they said oh yeah he said that these tribes were just throwing women at york i'm sure to try to breed that into the bloodline because they saw the benefits during some stays with these tribes they would have i can't remember it was during like a time when there weren't like buffalo around and so there was this ceremony they were watching and it was like a three-day festival of like trying to get the buffalo to return Mm -hmm. and all of the like young warriors would send their wives to like the village elders to sleep with the village elders yeah and somehow or another, the core of discovery guys got grouped into that. Like, 
that group of elders or some type of like, Dumb luck. we might as well try to sleep with these guys to bring yeah. the buffalo back. Like, we need these buffalo. Oh, maybe we could get some of this facial hair into us. Mm-hmm. That'll be great for winter. Yeah. And so these guys with the core discovery were sleeping with a lot of Native American women. They were trading them stuff, like stuff that they had, like ribbon. It got to a point where like Lewis and Clark were like, we need to keep this shit to negotiate with chiefs and tribes. You guys can't be giving away shit. So he started like cutting them off like strips of ribbon to pay them with for sex and everything. And I don't even want to imagine the kind of fucking like dick diseases that these guys were catching. And then they were taking the fucking laxative pills for it because it was burning when they pee and they're like, we either got to bleed you or you got to shit it all out. I, I am very curious. And this is something for somebody of a lot higher intellect than myself, but how do you think, not even, how do you think sexual diseases back then seemed like it wouldn't have been possible, right? In higher populated areas. Yes. But you would think these tribes, they were probably spreading more than getting. Yeah. I don't know. It's a very weird topic to think about, but you got to imagine. We're gonna have to, we might have to eventually do an, an episode STD on the spread episode. of, yeah, yeah, on just the history of that. But, just to, you know, if, if awareness, awareness is prevention. Not for these guys. <laughs> you think the first guy came back, he's like, hey, I fucked one of these Native American women. They're like, really? Why? Or how? He's like, I don't know, man. I just like gave her this ribbon that fell off of my shirt and she fucked me. And Lewis is like. How much ribbon do we have? Yeah. <laughs> like, a lot. He's like, cut up the ribbon for the men. That's right. <laughs> this is going to save us a ton on whiskey. <laughs> so uh, they're following old Toby through the Bitterroot Mountains, and it takes them 11 days instead of the five. They get to the point where they actually end up having to kill a couple of the horses and eat horses. Apparently, they got real excited about eating horse. So if you think about the... Horses that they were given were already pretty much bottom shelf horses. Yeah. And then they were killing the weakest of the bottom shelf horses. Like the there's, colts or something like there's that. There's no yeah. way that this meat could be good. No. I mean, compared to what they, nothing? Yeah, or dog. Yeah. Or I think they had, it was like a dried salmon, but it was really, really gross to them. Like their palate couldn't take it. Yeah. So they were choosing to eat horse uh-huh. and dog over. Because like fish wasn't a huge like staple, especially not like. Oh yeah, it wouldn't not have been like a staple pink fish. Because all the fish they'd be catching on the east coast would be white fish, Cod, right? something like yeah, yeah, that's actually stuff like very that. True. So they end up getting out of the Bitterroot Mountains, and on September twenty second, again, no casualties. That's fucking nuts, dude. No one starves. No one just falls. I mean, there are situations where, like, you know, they would fall down, and like a couple. I think during this time in the Bitterroot Mountains, they were going up a mountain, and two of the horses actually fell backwards off the hill. One of them was carrying the riding desk and smashed the riding desk. Oh, no. I know. The horse, thank God the horse was okay because it's a lot more useful here than the riding desk. So they find their way out, and on September 22nd, this is when they end up coming in and meeting the Nez Pierce. Um, Do you know about the area where they cross from Idaho into Washington? Yeah, so the area where they crossed was where the Clearwater comes into the Snake River. And that is now where the towns of Lewiston and Clarkston are. Lewiston cool is in Idaho. Is, oh, across yeah. the border. Clarkston is in Washington. How cool is that? Yeah. That's pretty sweet that they could do that. And just mm-hmm. the thought process of like what signifies crossing that is like Lewiston and Clarkston were the first ones to technically cross into Washington. Not yeah. first, but first the, of Whenever they the say the first, east. when we say first, what we mean is 
people have been here. Yeah. Trappers may have, no one's mapped this or had like a, an actual, you know, maybe a personal map or something. Uh-huh. But it's never been surveyed and mapped by like an American citizen or someone like within like that's an American government agent or whatnot. Yeah. So no one that, you know, would have access to this once you get back to the States. No. So when the nearest peers take them in, again, they're coming out of the mountains after like 11 days, eating horses, starving, and they basically just like gorge themselves on fish and roots. And because they're not used to it. Can't say I blame them. I no, probably do oh, the God, same no. thing. But they end up, again, they don't even need the, what do they call it? Uh, what's the doctor's name? Uh Dr. Rush. Yeah, they don't even need the Rush's lightning. These roots and the salmon just clear them the fuck out, and they're, like, debilitated from, like, diarrhea and shit. So they take another, like, four days, and on September 22nd, this is where they find the Clearwater River. Okay. I thought it was out of the bitter roots, but it's the Clearwater. So the Shoshone are like, this is where you're going to go now if you want to reach the Columbia. Okay. So every, like, tribe they meet, they're like, yeah, we know of the Columbia River. You're going to find these, you know, Native American, this Native American tribe when you get out and they'll give you more directions. So that's actually, they take the clear water up, the clear water and the Snake River meet. And then that's again where we get Lewiston and Clarkston. I didn't mean to step on that. No, you're fine, man. And then um, on October 10th, oh, sorry, October 10th is when that happens. And October 16th, so six days later, they ride the Snake River down into the Columbia and enter in the Columbia. And... Two days later, after getting onto the Columbia, that's when uh, Clark sees Mount Hood for the first time, 45 miles away. He doesn't know how close he probably is at that point. I'm sure that the natives told him, but going to Oregon and seeing Mount Hood yourself and then knowing like how far away it actually is from the water... Yeah. That distance seems kind of long, but at the same time, in the grand scheme of things, from where they came from, that's so fucking close. Well, what's crazy is they said once they, you know, once they got kind of like closer to the Rockies, that was the first time that they had really seen like big fucking huge like pine forest, man. So like these were trees like they had never seen before either. So all of this shit is new to them. And when they got down into the Columbia, I remember they were talking about a certain section. They were in the high desert for a little while, how that area of Oregon is kind of the high desert. Oh, yeah. And they're like, everything is fucking dry. And so they actually called it, like Lewis even made like a uh, reference to it and been like, it's like we're in a desert. Like there's no, like the humidity is like non-existent. It's so dry. Nothing really grows. And then like as they're going down the Columbia, it changes again into like forest and all this kind of shit. And so... There's a section of the Columbia, and they hit it on the 22nd, and it's where um, the town of near the town of Dalles. Oh, the Dalles now. Yeah. yeah. And so the Dalles are also the name of this section of rapids on the Columbia River. There's a big ass dam in the Dalles, isn't there? No, now there is. Okay. So probably because the rapids were so bad. Probably. <laughs> so like, look at it this way. So they said at any given time the Columbia River can be close to I think like it's not half. Is it half mile? Quarter mile, half mile? It's wide in a lot of things. Yeah, and a half mile doesn't really sound like a big choke point. Like, it still sounds pretty big. No, 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 but this is what I'm saying, is when they get to the Dalles, it funnels that in to about 240 feet, 250 feet. Yeah. So you're taking all of that water and you're forcing it into a smaller area, and so that's where you get these insane rapids. And I think along there you can actually, like one side is Oregon and the other side is Washington, isn't exactly. it? Exactly, on the, on the whole way down the Columbia. Oregon on your left, Washington on it's your right. It's a water border? Huh? It's a water border? Yeah. Huh. So 
the, I can't remember what the name of the guy was, but he's like their river man. And he's serving these rapids and Lewis is talking to him and he's like, what do you think? He's like, I think we can, I think we can get down through these. We can hit the eddies and we can stay on them. It'll be hairy, but we have to, this is the best way to do it. It's a long enough section to where if we try to portage now, we've seen what happens. We can lose that much more time. And at this point too, man, again, this is October 22nd. October 24th of the last year is when they were at, when they had met up with the Mandan and started establishing a post for winter. So they know they have to get themselves into a position where they can start seeking out like winter shelter, start prepping for that. They're right a couple days away from when they need to start thinking about that. They're definitely at different elevations, so it's probably a little bit different than it was. Well, maybe not because they were on the other side of the mountains. Yeah. But I think they're probably headed down more towards sea level. It's going to be more bearable. Yeah. They still know that it's not going they, to be pretty. Maybe they don't know that. Though. Yeah. They also could. You're very they right. They have no they idea to understand know elevation. What they, what the, yeah. They have no idea to know how high they are, what it's going to be like. They just came out of snow. All so they, they know is they're assume. going down river now. Exactly. Huh. So Never they end up shooting down these rapids in all of their canoes. And as they're getting ready to go down, I don't know what tribe they were from, but like there's all these Native Americans like lining the sides of the river to watch them do this. And the guy to watch them die is what they were hoping for. Like they probably don't do this shit. Like these guys are going to fucking take again. I can't stress this. These are not modern kayaks, rafts, or even modern canoes. These are literally things made out of chunks of fucking a trunk of a tree. And they still have to carry all of the supplies in all of it strapped in there. Yes. And so they end up following this guy, and all of them shoot down this rapid. No casualties. They all make it down. And as he gets down to the slack water at the bottom of it, they said the guy stands up and turns to all of the Native Americans watching and just takes about <laughs> all of them after shooting down that. As he should. As he should. So a couple weeks later, um, they come to where the, like, they call it, it's like the Columbia Delta. The estuary. The estuary, where it widens out uh-huh. and everything. And they're like, holy shit, we've reached the ocean. This is the ocean we're here. And it's like, nah, psych. Actually, you're about 20 <laughs> miles from the ocean. The fucking Columbia is just so goddamn big that it just looks like that. <sighs> and so that's um, November 7th. And then on the 15th, they got trapped by a whole bunch of rain. Like on the seventh, they were they stopped trying to go through the estuary because uh-huh. that's where you're starting to get because it's such a large body of water. You're starting to get the swells and the waves and everything, and even off to the sides, they couldn't get their kayaks through it. It's or their swampland, basically. Yeah. So I thought that that was incredible. The fact that they traveled so far, and it took them a relatively long time, but you have to imagine, like. They could cover 20 miles in a day probably fairly easy. They could, but it was pissing rain so much, and they said that that's where they started to get it. Yeah, that's what I mean, though. Like, on a normal day in regular conditions, they could probably go 20 miles. They would have just put the canoes on the bank and been like, we're walking it. Uh, It took them, what, eight days? Yeah, they ended up waiting for the weather to clear, and finally they had one clear day on November 15th. Eight days to go 20 miles. Yeah. And so they're like, well, they, they were stopped. Yeah. And then the day that it cleared up, he's like, we're going for it. And so they ended up making it to the Pacific and they set up, I think it was called after they made it to the Pacific. What do you think that was like? Like if you had to just try to sit and imagine for a second that you've been traveling, you've gone 4,000 miles at this point, you've been gone for more than a year and you finally 
find the thing that you've been searching for this entire time. It, it exists. You've made it after all of that time. So I remember just in my own life of nine years on this planet of not seeing the ocean and Mm -hmm. then seeing the ocean for the first time and really trying to take it into my nine-year-old brain, we drove there. It was a very easy, simple trip Mm -hmm. to get to the ocean. Like that was just low investment. Yeah. You were napping in the back seat. uh I was playing with my wrestlers in the back Mm -hmm. seat till we got to the beach. We got to the beach, opened the door, see the ocean. Holy shit. I didn't just travel thousands and thousands of miles trying to fight bears off getting run out of native villages for trying to fuck all the women. Like I I just lived 10 lifetimes on the way to get here. Yeah. It's, it would be just mind blowing. So they end up making the Pacific, get everything noted down. And then they are kind of trying to figure out, they're like, okay, um, we can either camp on this side, the Washington side of the river for the winter. We can hunker down or on the Oregon side. And it came down to, I think the, the food situation they saw more elk and everything on the Oregon side. Yeah. But they put it to a vote. And not just, you know, the people, you know, the men that were part of the Corps core of Discovery, they let... Not York, the way American voting is taken at the time. Yes, but the way it's done today, where they allowed everyone to vote. So York and... Um, Chicago Way God get a vote. It, Chicago Way each get a vote. And the vote ends up coming up to camp in Oregon for the winter. And so they, on the coast, they build this camp called Camp Station. And then they come back a little bit. I think it was near, I want to say Astoria. Modern day Astoria, yeah. Modern day Astoria. They build Fort Clatsop. And it was because the Clatsop Indians were kind of in that area. So that's why they end up naming it that. And basically- They were the first Goonies. Huh? They were the first Goonies. There you go. Goonies never die, baby. And that's where they camp for the winter. And at this point, the entire time, now they're thinking, we're waiting for winter to end. We got to survive this. We probably start, need to start building up our food stores or supplies <laughs> and everything. Good chance. Because we have time. to get fucking back now. That is something that I don't know. I think if I was one of the 40 guys that made it. Well, there, it was only like 30 or 32. Yeah, because they sent the people back. Yeah. And I think it was um, back home in D.C., Thomas Jefferson thought they were dead because there were other parties that they were supposed to be sending back with more samples. I think it was before they might have crossed the Rockies or right after. Yeah, he got the prairie dog, crazily enough. He got the prairie dog. Well, that was the first one when they left. Yeah. It was when they were leaving for winter to cross, right? It was after they had wintered with the um, Mandan. Okay, that was the first one. And then when they went to go up the river further, they sent the, the keelboat back. Yeah, so not only did Thomas Jefferson think they were dead, but also at this same time, during this um, expedition, the Spanish got wind of it, and they were like, well, if they make it all the way through, they're going to have a claim, not only on the territory they just acquired. And again, the Spanish are not fucking happy because they just gave the land back to the French, and then the French just turned around and gave it to us. So they're like, we're not letting them get to the ocean, we're, you know... If anything, we're going to try to go get a claim on the rest of the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. So they sent out a group from Texas to try to intercept and stop the Lewis and Clark expedition by any means necessary. And at one point, they got to Nebraska and were speaking to a group of Indian, like a um, tribe or something there. And they said, "Um, we haven't seen them, but we've heard just kind of through various messengers Uh that there was a group of white men that were moving up. And apparently the Spanish at that point, like, oh, darn it, we missed him. You haven't seen him. And they turned back 
they were only two days behind them at that yeah, point. Yeah, they missed them by like an eyelash. Yes. In comparison to the time it took and travel and everything, yeah, missed them by two days. So and you have to think that had the Spanish caught up to them, it wouldn't have been a pretty sight. We wouldn't have had Lewis and Clark probably. It depends on, you know, how many of them there were and what ended up going on. That would have been even a crazier fucking part of the story is like on this date, we ran into a, you know, Spanish ambush or some shit. Turns out Spanish people taste better than dogs. <laughs> <laughs> the pre-Donner party? Yeah. But, party uh, of 32. Like I say, just to get there, to me, and I think, were there British trading posts that were there? I don't know if there were trading posts. There were trading routes with the natives that lived that close to the beach, right? So the natives there, they had trouble negotiating with them because those were the ones that had the most communication with all the traders that came in from the coast. They were wearing like like blue military jackets that they had traded for other skins and everything. They said that the they were like <laughs> outfits were very kind of weird and all that kind of stuff. They showed up and all the Native Americans were wearing Levi's and like, what yes, the yeah. fuck? But they also knew like they weren't going to get taken advantage of for bargaining. Yeah. And like at this point, Luce and Clark, they didn't have a ton of shit left to bargain with. I'd have and stayed, stuff, man. Huh? I wouldn't have gone back. I'd have stayed. Well, that was enough trip for me. I could have stayed there with them. <laughs> there was a letter that Thomas Jefferson had given them. And part of their hope was when they got to the coast, they would be able to flag down or see a ship. Hopefully the timing worked out. And they were going to have a letter that basically they were going to give. And it said, you know, this is from Thomas Jefferson. They were going to give them a bunch of stuff and be like, take this back to Washington. Take this letter back. When you get back and you drop this off, you're going to get paid a whole bunch of money. This is what it's good for. I don't know if they plan to ever take the crew back or take the guys back or even a portion of them like Mm -hmm. Lewis or Clark or someone like that. But they never ended up seeing any boats. So they end up wintering there and kind of gathering their strength. And then March 23rd, 1806. So this thing started in 1804 in May. And now we're sitting in March of 1806. A hair under two years in. Yep. And they're just starting the journey back. So they're getting ready to go home at this point. And what, they spent December 8th to March 23rd there. So not a real long span of time after they got there in comparison to how long it took them. No, but I mean, it's still time that they have to wait. Yeah. Well, and they were even a little bit too... um, Gung-ho? Too gung-ho about it. And so they leave Oregon and... On May 14th, they're basically kind of go back through like the Nez Perce village and everything. I think they left some horses with them because that's when they got back on the Clearwater and the Columbia. And so they picked their horses back up and the the like chief or the elders and everything are like, hey, maybe wait a little bit longer. There's still a bunch of snow up there. And they're like, no, no, no. We got to get home. You, you don't know shit. It's yeah. not like you live here or anything like that. So on May 14th, they end up trying to cross back over the Bitterroots. And end up coming like up to where the snow's like ten feet thick or ten feet deep on and the paths to, on, huh? the, on the actual paths down the, through. Yes, so they were going to have to trudge through it or over it, and trudging over a large amount of snow is just basically impossible. Yeah, so they're like, okay, we may have not waited long enough, so they literally turn around and just go back to the Nespers. <laughs> How do you think that conversation went when they got back? As soon as he saw them approaching, the chief is just sitting out there and has been like, I've been waiting. Yeah. I knew you guys were going to be back. Hey, I'm shocked you guys made it that long. Here's some, yeah, here's something to drink. <laughs> you, want, want some salmon? Do you have anything to say to me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. You were right. I was wrong. I'm smart, or I'm dumb, you're smart, you're good-looking, I'm not attractive. (laughs) So they come back, and take two takes place on June 24th, 
And they're actually able to cross the Bitterroot Mountains at that point. Again, yeah, because the Nez Perce sent guides with them because they knew it was time. Yes. They knew their guys would be able to get there at uh-huh. that point. Like, listen, if you guys are going to try this shit again, let us just send a couple guys with you. They can go get information from the Shoshone there. We, we need to know what's going on over there anyway. So July 3rd, after crossing over the Bitterroot Mountains, they uh, come into Montana. And at this point, they're, you know, the, they know they're on their way home. So they have stored other canoes, like, down by the falls and everything that they couldn't take down with them. Yep, they've all like after they met the Shoshone, they have horses that the Shoshone are watching or something like that. And then they've also like stashed like other supplies like on another river that they traveled down. Yeah. And one of the things when they end up taking the falls, they made this like horseshoe. The river took them after the falls. It basically took them like due south and then roped them around and basically turned like what would have been a four-day land crossing just straight from the falls, they turned it into like two two weeks or like three weeks. So this time, instead of getting on the river and going that way, they just took the shortcut that took them four days. That's the other reason why this shouldn't have worked. They took the path of most resistance every single time to get there. They didn't fucking know, man. I, I know that they easy. didn't know. Like I say, that's why it wasn't supposed to work because yeah. they kept making the wrong decision, even though despite, it felt That's right. the whole point is in spite of everything that happened, mm-hmm. not only the fact that they're surviving, but all of their guys are surviving, save for Sergeant Floyd early on. And so after they get into Montana, they're like, okay, let's split up. We got you know some different jobs. You're going to take some men. I'm going to take some men. Lewis and Clark split up. And then once they split up, then they have these other like other missions within smaller groups that they're going to split up between them. And wasn't part of that because they wanted to bring Jefferson back like some real legitimate W's? That they wanted to find out all of the waterways that uh-huh. came down in case they took the wrong one and there happened to have been another one that maybe got a little bit closer. Uh, and just the invaluable... Cartography, I think it's called, of like the map drawing of everywhere. Cartography or tobo- map of the tobo- something like whatever, that. something like that. But just that alone, you have a leg up on everybody else because you know the routes, you know the areas, just judging by how you can travel them. Um, you know the parts to avoid because yeah. you've been through the shittiest parts. You know where the falls are, mm-hmm. everything like that. So Lewis ends up going north, and he's like, okay, we took the wrong river, I think, this time. I'm going to go up and find out where the Mariah actually goes up to in its source. And wasn't part of his deal to try to find the Blackfeet Nation? Yes. So he was going to try to find them and negotiate with them. Um, Knowing they were very hostile from everything that he had heard about, and knowing that they had guns from the Brits, probably coming down from Canada. Yep. He was just trying to clear that area to make sure everyone was aware that there were probably going to be more white people coming after he got back. So, and then Clark was um, following the Yellowstone River. Um, I can't remember what he was doing. He was supposed to map some area, but he also had like a mission to gather some more supplies that they had like stored away or something like that as well. Yeah, I think he was supposed to map out the entire Yellowstone River. That's right. So Lewis's mission, he ends up on, so they split up on July 3rd. On July 25th, on Clark's side of it, he actually goes um, and finds what you were talking about earlier. So he finds what's called, and I think he goes somewhat into, it's not Yellowstone Park, because that's, the other guy finds that. There's another guy, like, last name Coulter or something like that. 
Huh. He is part of their group, and when they get back to the Mandan, he's like, I'm going to stay. I'm actually going back out with these fur trappers, and he ends up discovering Yellowstone National Park. So it wasn't the Pompey's Pillar is somewhere in Yellowstone, but I think what we know is the park today this other guy discovers when he goes back. But anyway, so what you were talking about earlier, so Clark ends up finding this big, huge rock formation. He names it Pompey's Pillar in um, honor of uh, Sacagawea's son. Jean-Baptiste. Jean-Baptiste. And he carves his name into the sandstone at the base of it. Again, this is the only physical evidence we have that this expedition ever even took place. Somehow it's lasted 200 plus 300, no, 200 yep. years. So a day later on Lewis's side, and they're separated by probably, what, 100 miles, something like that? Fair amount of land. And he ends up and his group end up coming upon um, three, um, so it would be Blackfoot, right? I think black feet because it's plural. Okay, so three, three black, black feet warriors. Yeah, so he ends up coming upon three of them. Oh, hang on, <laughs> which starts off so innocent. It feels like like going into the night, going into the sleep. Things seem like things were it, it, they were progressing well. Yeah, they have some pretty some pretty um, good negotiations, and it doesn't seem like it's hostile or anything like that. So they decide to sleep together under this big tree. Not sexually, no. just camp together. No. Well, I sure don't know. She, semen might have been there, but just the dog. And Clark gets woken up like early in the morning, and here's a struggle, and he turns, and one of his guys is wrestling with one of the um, Blackfoot warriors who's trying to steal his rifle. And he then looks up, and there's two of the other, the other two are like trying to like round up their horses to ride off with their horses. And as they're running away, I think Lewis pulls his pistol on one, right? And he says... He like, reaches down for his rifle, which was sitting right next to him as mm-hmm. he was asleep, realizes that they had jacked his rifle before he woke up to the struggle that was mm-hmm. going on. Luckily, he slept with the pistol on his hip. So he pulls out the pistol, tells him to stop. One of them turns and looks at him, and that's when he... Does he fire or... Does he? He doesn't yeah. get shot at first. He fires. No, he fired first. So he fires first, catches this guy right in the abdomen, and guy hunches over, but still has enough in him that he actually raises up and takes a shot mm-hmm. at Lewis, and it's close enough that he says he can feel it whiz past his head. And then the other guy ends up just riding off, right? Uh, well, I think once they, once he killed the first guy, mm-hmm. kind of shook everybody up and. There's questions as to whether they wiped out the rest of the uh, warriors before they left. There were but, like three of them. Yeah. So one of them got stabbed. The guy that was fighting with the other guy for his rifle, the other guy in Lewis's party pulls out his knife and stabs that okay. guy. Or two, the two of them do. They stab the guy and kill him. So you got two dead Blackfoot warriors. I think the other one, that's right. The other one takes off because that's what worries Lewis so much. He thinks he's going to go get a war party and they're going to run him down. So they jump on what horses they could gather, whether they were They end up getting horses. their horses and also the other two Blackfoot Warrior they horses. Killed. And they just fucking haul ass out of there to go meet up with the rest of the Corps of Discovery. Thinking, basically, they ride for 24 hours straight. Just trying to put as much distance between them and, and what happened. This they, started out a real, real cold streak for Lewis. They also left the fucking peace medals. On these guys as like a calling card or That's some nice. shit. That's I don't know if they were like, hey, we want peace. These guys didn't want it. We weren't the bad guys in this situation. But I'm not sure how you expected that to be received. 
when the rest of your these Blackfoot warriors roll up on these two dead bodies and mm. there's these medals with fucking Jefferson's face on them. That message may have been lost in translation. So they end up um, on August 11th. Lewis and them are still trying to catch up to the rest of them. They were going to meet in North Dakota at like the the night uh, the like entrance or the beginning of like the Knife River, and they're out hunting. Lewis and another guy are out hunting for elk, and the other guy sees one, fires at it, and just wounds it. And he's like, "God damn!" It. He's like, "All right, we're gonna track this thing down and kill it." And the the guy that's fucking with Lewis, he thinks he sees the thing in the brush. And he's like squinting to see what it is. And he pulls up and shoots it. And he just hears Lewis go, oh, God. <laughs> and he fucking, he's like, I got shot in the, what did he say? I got shot in the buttocks? <coughs> Probably buttocks. Uh-huh. And he's like, you shot me. And is like yelling at this guy. And this guy is like being quiet. He doesn't want to <laughs> give himself away. He's in the bushes. And he's hiding. And then all of a sudden, Lewis like is like, there must be black feet around. There must be black feet around. He's like, and so he starts getting back like to the fucking canoes or horses and the other guy ends up falling back he's like yeah there must be black feet around i just missed him guys they mm-hmm. came after me i told them not to shoot on us anymore they left i i'm back so he caught lewis like in the front of the groin like off to one side yeah and passed through and passed through one of his butt cheeks very close to his pecker yeah which phenomenal shot from that far away and so they get back they get on the uh get back on the water it comes to light that this guy did it. They find out rather quickly that this motherfucker is actually the one that shot him. And so for the duration... That's probably what it was. He's probably like, hey, man, that uh, that Blackfoot warrior that shot at you, pretty good shot, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, say what you will about the guy, but for him to hit you through that brush, I mean, that's a great... Sh- uh, that had to have been a marksman shot, Yeah, right? I'm not going to use the word marksman whoever, if yeah, you want Whoever to. shot that obviously had some skills. So... He can't sit up in the canoe. He has to now ride face down in the canoe <laughs> as they're traveling down down the river. And can't be a fun ride at all. Jesus. And then a day later, they're back together with the rest of the Corps of Discovery and Clark, and they meet together in North Dakota, like I was saying, kind of right there at the Knife River. So two days later, again, Lewis riding face down, ass up in the fucking canoe. They end up getting back to the Hadatsa and the Mandans, and... um. Kind of during their time there, they stay for a little bit, and that's where our party says Sa- goodbye to Charbonneau and uh, Sacagawea, Sacagawea and, and Jean Baptiste. And Lewis had apparently become very, very fond Clark, of Jean Baptiste. Wasn't it? I thought it was Lewis because Clark is the one that adopts him. Okay, then it's Clark. After or wait, Sacagawea or does he passes. do it because of what happens to Lewis? I know one of them tells okay, Sacagawea. Maybe. Yeah. I, I can't remember which. It could very possibly be Clark. Mm-hmm. But basically tells him is like, I would like to go ahead and take this child and, and raise him and give him like all the advantages and a formal education and all that kind of stuff. And she's like, nah, not right now. Like we're we're good right now. We just did a lot of time together. We're going to yeah, need some time yeah, apart. Let's, yeah, let's, let's stew on this, <laughs> kind of figure out what our relationship is, and then we'll talk about me maybe possibly just giving up my child to you. That also brings up the point that I do wonder about is I'm sure Charbonneau probably wouldn't have wanted to go back to like DC and modern at the time America or current day America at that point, the United States. Yeah. I think he ended up making like 500 bucks off the whole deal, which probably pretty good for somebody living in a, a Mandan, um, area. Mm -hmm. But 
But it's more than the like other thirty two guys got paid. Which yeah, is weird enough. But he, uh, Charbonneau also didn't get the land. I also find it interesting though that Sakaga Wea continued back with. I guess maybe it wasn't her choice since she was owned there's by Charbonneau. Stuff about like not her. to stay back with the Shoshone. Yeah, there's some stuff about her where some people say that she died like five years later or something. She got she ended up getting some type of fever or something like that. But that's all. No one was keeping tabs. That's the whole point. Because I know Charbonneau died at some point. Uh-huh. But they said he died when he was, like, quite a bit older. Yeah. But they say that um, Skagawea, that she actually found her way back. She left him and found her way back to the show. That's the one that I'd like to believe. Yeah, absolutely. I think that if any if anyone deserves that after what she did, you know, basically saving the expedition with her with her knowledge and her information, like, that that would be what I would like to imagine ends up happening with her. But they end up leaving the Hadats and the Mandans in on September 23rd. Apparently on the Missouri, when you're heading down, much easier. Yeah. Much easier. Oh, yeah. He said they were covering like 70 miles a day. Well, they're going with the flow of the water. Exactly. Well, I know that. But what I'm saying is like 70 miles a day is still a lot. Yeah. Just basically floating down there. and Caught a good wind. Yeah. And so September 23rd, they end up rolling into St. Louis, and apparently there had been some type of, you know, someone had passed news that they were going to be coming because there was a large crowd gathered for them. Well, as they were coming back, they were sort of running into, like, the time that they were gone, the United States had decided now that they had the Louisiana Purchase Mm -hmm. that people can start pushing into it. Yeah. So they're running into other travel parties that are sort of heading that way. Yeah, because if you think about it, it's two years at this point. Yeah, that's a long time for what they just purchased. So there's other traders that are running into it. So now this is when Manifest Destiny feels like it's starting to get 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 kicked kicked into high gear. And those guys are like, hey, you're still alive? We all wrote you off. They just saw the dog and they're like, oh, shit. You're the dog guys. <laughs> they saw the dog in York and they were like, that's who you guys yeah, are. You, this you look like lot of shit. Sense. Yeah. How bad did it get on the way up? We're not going all the way. Well, when they were coming back down after they had passed the um, Hudson, the Mandans, they had to go back past the freaking Sioux that they didn't get along with. Oh, and when they yeah. went back past the Sioux, they didn't get out of the boats. They were just going down river. The Sioux were there. And there was a communication between, like, the Sioux chief that had caused the issue with Lewis. Uh-huh. And he stood up and said something across the bank to the effect of, like, I'm going to remember what you did. It's not going to be looked upon kindly by, by the United States. But he was, it was basically him just riding by and holding up his middle finger. <laughs> like, yep, we survived. No thanks to you assholes. So, yeah, they get back into St. Louis. All... All said and done for the trip itself, the expedition, an 8,000-mile journey, two years, four months, and ten days. Can you imagine? Two years, dude. You're out there in the unknown with your survival completely dependent on yourself and the people around you. And at certain points, your survival was dependent on people who had never met you. You casually refer to them as savages Uh regardless of in which way you mean it yeah and your life is saved how many different times by these people well and uh, like you say you just did this trip with guys that like you knew uh clark and lewis knew each other for a very long time i think before this they were in the military together everybody else is just kind of thrown together like there were some people that they knew but i'm sure there were people out of the whole corps of core discovery 
Corp of Discovery that they had probably just met a little bit prior. Yeah. And then they had to spend the next two years dealing with all their eccentricities and all their weird habits and their complaining. Lewis said that like about halfway, halfway through the first leg of the journey going there and everything, they really developed into like a super cohesive unit where everyone knew kind of what strengths and what people were in charge of. And from that point on, that's how, what helped out with the survival, the survivability of the whole crew is that everyone kind of like was looking out for each other and helping and everything. Yeah. I can see that. But, I also get to Lewis's state, which we'll get to. They just did something that nobody else around them could ever even claim to say that they had done because there was just those people that went and they knew that nobody else had done it before. They, they had such little understanding of if it could be done and it was such a fucking shot in the dark that they believed less than halfway through the journey that they were dead, that uh-huh. they must be dead. Okay. So like, that's like, you're not even allowing a year or two years or whatnot for you to, to receive any news back. You're just like, yeah, I mean, I guess they've, chances are they're dead. How do you go back to regular life after that? Though? Well, I think that's what plays into kind of what ends up happening to Lewis. Yeah. So when was it? He goes, ends up going back to Washington and meeting with uh, Jefferson on December 28th. Was it Jefferson or had Jefferson gotten out of office at that point? Uh, it had to have maybe been after, well, no, because it was pretty early in his presidency that this all kicked off. Okay. So, but for him to go back so soon, um, I don't know the actual area, but he was nominated and then made the governor of Upper Louisiana. I don't know if that's Upper Louisiana purchase. I so think like it was just Louisiana North Territory. Yeah, so North Dakota-ish, somewhere up there. Yeah. Um, Very cool. I'm sure a really prestigious thing. Unfortunately, stuff really starts to go dark for Lewis. Um, After being exposed to so much, so, so much mercury and so much opium and just the life of the adrenaline dump that you could never, ever reach those same heights... I think I heard, and I'm sure you heard it too, it's sort of like the comparison of like Buzz Aldrin going to the moon. Yeah. Like, what the fuck do you do after that? Yeah, and they said that after, on the return trip, like, Lewis was actually, like, more prone to, like, anger and shit like that, that he was actually kind of a changed man. And I think maybe he had such a lofty goal of trying to reach the Pacific that once that happened, you, you have to be like, well, what now? So we just get back, and then what do I do? Like, what's the, what am I going to, how am I going to top this for the rest of my life? And like you said, the fact that he had depression to begin with, now he's, you know, taking this medication that's probably just making those issues even worse. He might be in chronic pain from certain things. And yeah, so he, he ends up getting called to Washington because he's supposed to like appear in front of Congress for like misappropriation or misuse of funds like in the Louisiana Territory, something like that. Like he's not spending the money correctly that they're using for like development of that like area. And he, I guess the way to get there is you take a boat, you go down to the Gulf of Mexico and he's going to go around and go up to DC that Uh way. Well, he gets down to, is it Tennessee? Where was he? Nashville? It was Tennessee. It probably could have been Nashville. And ends up checking himself into a hotel and on October 11th, uh, 1809, so this is, you know, three years, a little over three years after the completion of the 
Lewis and Clark expedition, he shoots himself in the head. That doesn't take. He missed. Doesn't work. Hey. And then sh- decides bigger target and shoots himself in the chest. And that's not smart because it ends up taking him like the entire night to end up bleeding out. Yeah, sun up was coming as he was going. Yeah. Like just a, a wild way to end it. Um, a little bit brighter for Clark. I think one of the things that sort of plagued Lewis, and we see how Lewis sort of plagued how we really look at sort of their expedition, because when they got back, the idea was to start publishing his journal. like a synopsis of the journals. Yeah, the journal of the journey. And he just couldn't bring himself to do it. And I'd imagine it probably comes back from not wanting to relive it and just realize, like, daily life will never be like that again. That, yeah, and then just he just didn't write is, a lot. Reading it is not going to be anything compared yeah. to living it. I'm just describing these things that I'll never do again, something uh, like that. And how are you supposed to, like, boil it down to just the bare bones of what you just lived? Yeah. So I'm sure that was tough on him. But January 15th, uh, going back to after Lewis was nominated to be the governor, Clark has nominated the agent of Indian Affairs for the United States. Uh, pretty cool. I mean, I, I wonder if Clark sort of omitted some of the <laughs> the run-ins that they mm-hmm. had. No, we were totally good with every single tribe uh, we met. Everybody's cool. Nobody came back for the visit that we offered them. Yeah, everybody weird. said they were going to come. Maybe they got hung up. Maybe they couldn't cross the river. We told them, hang on to those medals. Bring them in. That's your token to get into the White House. <laughs> That's your golden ticket. Uh-huh. But after Clark's nominated for that, he starts to set to work on tri- – well, and after Lewis commits suicide – he starts to really try to dig into Lewis's journals and then his own to try to produce these works that were already, it was supposed to, wasn't it? Did you say a three part series that it was supposed to be releases? Yeah. And so he's not only trying to write his, but he's trying to surmise Lewis's thoughts and really try to keep his words true. And it ended up taking them 10 years to get the journals published. So 10 years of just massive um, sort of evolution of the United States where you're growing at such a rapid rate because everybody saw, well, we can go over into this territory and manifest destiny, like you said earlier, had already started. So you're trying to kind of keep up and explain what's going on when there's already people that have come back from these long That's places. The thing. It's like you're trying to write something that already feels to a degree outdated. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so you know, at this point too – when these journals ended up coming out, the whole push for Manifest Destiny, everybody trying to move west and fill in this territory and fill in this land, nobody's really interested in hearing about Lewis and Clark. It doesn't get really any attention. And then finally, a long time later, close to, what, 100 years later? Yeah. When it finally comes to the 100-year anniversary of this, all of a sudden people start perking their ears up and it's like, say what? These guys did what? And it's almost kind of like a renaissance, and it's kind of been more popular ever since. Well, I'm sure the amount of time between those two times, just like we look at it and think this is the 1800s that these guys were doing this, a hundred years was enough time to see how much of a struggle that could have been without all the modern technology that they Oh, come yeah, up definitely. With it, gives, it lends perspective uh-huh. of really how hard that must have been. You have people coming back now that were on you know, the Oregon Trail takes place within that hundred years and everything. So you have these people being like, these guys were 
the you know the pathfinders that discovered that this was even possible i'm sure to some degree somewhere along the oregon trail had to somewhat cross where lewis and clark had come to some degree yeah they probably wouldn't have seen trails but they probably ran into some of the same tribes maybe yeah or followed something on a map that was made by lewis and clark or that was taken Uh from lewis and clark's description of something so you know that you know their their legacy is is one that until you really know the details of it and how difficult it must have been and how long it took and just like I don't know the the belief that these guys had themselves and and the guys that they took with them to to even think that this was possible. I mean, if you sat down, it's like we need to make it from here to Canada, but we can't go on any traveled roads. <laughs> we can't utilize any gas station or grocery stores or anything like that. You'd be like, that's that's fucking impossible. I can't do that. Yeah. And I mean, these guys had a background to do some of that stuff. You know, being in the military, and you know, Lewis was trained for a year to do certain things, but. Just to be able to do that, to think on your feet, to take the chance of going this way. Yeah, that mountain range looks good. Let's cross those peaks. Like, that's, that's some, you got to be a little bit crazy to do that. Uh, 100% crazy. And it's just like the mastery of the unknown. And I can't stress this point enough because I just don't know how it's true, but they only lost one person. Yeah. That's brilliance in and of itself. I mean, I, I don't know how many people were lost along the Oregon Trail, but I'm betting it was a shitload more than one. Yeah. Uh, just a, a crazy thought to think that these guys were so ill-prepared but so well-prepared at the same time to be able to complete this mission. I think it's something, too, that I do think Lewis and Clark are, are known in popular or just normal nomenclature. People probably couldn't give you a lot of details on you know what they did or when they did it or anything, but uh-huh. I think there also is, for people that live in the Pacific Northwest, I think there's a special love for Lewis and Clark because of all the things they did while they were here and yeah. everything. And also this was an unclaimed territory. You know, the, the Pacific Northwest was an unclaimed territory. So them kind of being those people that came in almost in a way claimed it for the United States. I'm not saying that that was right. And I'm not like celebrating, like taking land away or anything like that. <laughs> I'm just saying that like, I'm, I'm trying to separate what it meant in the future, them doing this from the actual act itself, which from a human standpoint is, is insanely impressive. Yeah. And it's, I think, also part of it plays into it, like, we were sort of the unknown, or not we, as far as, like, I don't know really how to describe it. Like, we hadn't been there yet, and so the people that live there now probably cheered on as that was the finish line. Like, you guys wanted to get over to where Mm -hmm. we actually are now. Yeah. So, like, this is the more prized area because this is where we were. This was the last frontier. Yep. It was the last unknown in Uh the country. All right, man. You got anything else to to top it off? No, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I, I learned a hell of a lot just about all of this stuff, and it's really probably not necessary to know but it is cool to have these little pieces of history that started this country and really like we had so much innovation that's happened since 1776 and this was just like the further escalation of it i if if anyone listening to this is ever you know is a camper an outdoors person or or spends time like that hiking do yourself a favor when you're up hiking smoke a little bit uh-huh. turn around Look at the the mountains around you and try to envision yourself as being the first person to see something like that and how you could survive or if you could survive in the wilds. And so I'll leave you with that. 
Another another fun one, man. Yep, another one in the books. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Later, guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for another episode. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe and like button. Follow us. If you didn't like what you heard, still hit that anyway, because we'll probably cover something in the future that you do like. Um, please follow us on our social media. Adam, hit him with it. Uh, our Instagram is historically high pod, historically high pod, and we are on Twitter at historically high. That's historically hi. All right, and if you guys want to send in any feedback, suggestions, hit us up on those two, or you can even do it on Gmail. It's historically high podcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again. Peace.